good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking purple is a fall color. We're talking spring break with Sugar Ray. And we're talking atrocious 2002 fashion. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking, are you tricking on me? <laughs> oh my god. The lingo <laughs> in this movie. The lingo. But it's a, it's like a satire, kind of, but yes. not? <laughs> Both? Yes, but- indeed. It's a compromised vision, which we will discuss at length in this episode, because everyone, we are discussing Raja Gosnell's 2002 live-action adaptation, Scooby-Doo. And (laughs) I feel like we owe this to y'all after so many weeks of really dark, depressing, and controversial content. Indeed, yeah. I don't think we could have made a harder pivot into (laughs) candy-colored kind of floss, but like, in a good way. This felt like a nice reprieve. I agree, although I'm not going to lie, I'm a little shocked to hear you say that, because I was watching this like, oh my god, Joe's going to hate all of this. (laughs) Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong, this is not like my most favorite movie ever, but this was like a turn your brain off and just enjoy the colors kind of movie. Very much so, and we'll have a lot to say about many colors in this film, because they are all over the place, but... All over the place. In case you're going to come over and like battle me on how, on the genius of this movie, (laughs) I'm just kidding, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a genius movie, but I do like it there we go i feel like again like last week we should have someone else in my corner so everyone we're gonna bring in our guest waiting in the wings she is a horror blogger and filmmaker that also pulls triple duty acting as the teen correspondent of fangoria she is also the co-host of the scream teens podcast a limited series that sees a couple of horror obsessed teens discuss the history of horror and its societal impacts please welcome Corey McCullough, a.k.a. Gory Corey. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yes, welcome to (laughs) Scooby-Doo. I'm so excited. Well, okay, so because I I feel like Joe and I planned this a while ago, and I I don't remember if it was you, Joe, or me, but we were like, we know Corey likes Scooby-Doo. Really? Oh my god, that makes me so happy that I'm known for that. (laughs) I I don't know what it was. I feel like we got into a Twitter conversation two years ago. It might have even been pre-pandemic, and I just had it. I was like, okay, good. Someone else loves Scooby Doo. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's the amount of time, the amount of like hours of my life that I've spent is probably years at this point just watching Scooby Doo. There we go. I love that. And honestly, what better way to celebrate its twentieth anniversary yes. than have someone yes. who like unabashedly loves this movie? <laughs> now, Corey, though, I do have a question for you. Uh-huh. Did you see this movie in theaters? I did not because I was not, in fact, born yet. <laughs> yeah, Trace, that was such was a baited question. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was born in 2003, and this wow. was released in 2002. I believe the first time I saw it was 
right at the end of the blockbuster era, we still had uh, one yeah. in my town when I was like, I was maybe four, you know, like I was pretty, pretty little, but I did rent this out obsessively from blockbuster like every week <laughs> mm-hmm. and i would watch it like in the car on our little car dvd player Aww. oh my god <laughs> that, it's that's interesting i guess because i don't have a lot of friends who are you know um uh, uh of your age mm-hmm. and so hearing you talk about that it's actually like really interesting because i'm like oh like that was like you know watching the car dvd that was my legally blonde or renting it every week yeah. from blockbuster that was my critters and so it's interesting the um i don't know the films that your generation what the what those films are for your generation you know yeah, yeah. So, have you been a big Scooby Doo fan in general? Like, do you like the, just the entire IP, or is it this movie specifically that kind of like tickles your fancy? It is all of it, and I'm usually like most of my content I'm very territorial about. But I, <laughs> because like like I was really obsessed with Winx Club as a kid, and so now if I watch any iteration of Winx Club that is not like the four kids version, I get really upset about it, even with just the minor differences. <laughs> but when it comes to Scooby Doo, I like every single thing in the franchise. Like. I will watch any Scooby-Doo movie, any series, like anything, and I'll enjoy it. I don't know what it is. It's just, I love them all. So you have watched Mystery Incorporated then is what I'm hearing from you. Yes. I love Mystery Incorporated. (laughs) That's good. That that probably would have been a deal breaker for Trace because he is a huge fan of that. Oh, it is so, the show is just genius. Like, it's so good. And the way that it brought the franchise back in a way like even for adults i mean because so yeah. listeners uh i mean like you know you can go back and listen to our episode on scooby-doo on zombie island from two years almost exactly two years ago actually i go into my love of it and of course like the history of scooby-doo and that show as well because in all of the scooby-doo that i've seen mystery incorporated has been the like legitimately best quality wise not just like a, oh it's mm-hmm. good for scooby-doo but like legitimately great series of television the one thing that I really appreciated about that when it came out is I was in, like, middle to high school, mm-hmm. and all of my friends were like, Scooby-Doo is for babies, and they <laughs> oh. refused to watch it, but that brought it back, Scooby-Doo Incorporated, and they would watch that, so it was, like, really fun for me to be able to have some kind of Scooby-Doo content that my friends would actually watch. That's weird. That's, like, a reverse gateway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, because it's really interesting, because for me, so I was 13 when this movie came out, and it was coming to theaters, and so I was in seventh great and i was probably more excited than any 13 year old should have been for a live action scooby Doo movie (laughs) i double featured this with the sum of all fears seeing it with my gay uncle uh in louisiana that year but i think maybe the more what i should be embarrassed about is when the sequel came out i was actually a freshman in high school and i was so excited that i had my mom come pick me up from my last period early so we can catch an early afternoon show. That's (laughs) awesome! Oh my gosh. That's great! I feel like there's something about the live action films though, like I think people had waited such a long time Mm -hmm. for this IP to be recognized in another format, like there had been these decades of cartoons, but I think what I've heard you both say is like, oh, there's still the perception, this is for children, this is not appropriate for preteens, teens, adults. So live action gets another cake at the can because people can say, oh, well, now it's recognizable actors, it's Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince, like this has like a kind of allowable cachet to it where you can say, oh, well, it's not for kids, like it's live action. So now mm-hmm. I'm justified in getting excited to see it. Oh, I mean, so they they started filming this in, like, spring of 2001, and I will never forget. I was in sixth grade, and People Magazine, they released the first, like, cast photo of the movie, like, March of that year. So they've been filming for a month. And my mom shows it to me, and I literally screamed <laughs> so loud. 
And, so and just to clarify, so your mom did not know you were gay? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she says now when she, because she goes back and she does that thing where she like takes all yeah. of her like VHS home movies and like converts them to DVD. She's like, oh, I've been watching them and I, I'm looking at him like, how did I not know? And I'm like, I know, right? Uh, hindsight 2020. Um, but yeah, okay. So with Scooby-Doo, because honestly, <laughs> I know I said we were out of controversy and we are out of, you know, content controversy with this movie. But in terms of the production, this movie is not without its stories. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's just start with this, okay? So, first we have producer Charles Roven, who is now best known for producing superhero films like the Dark Knight trilogy, Suicide Squad, Man of Steel, and Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> so what you're saying is he got all of the bright colors out of his system with this movie? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> Except for Suicide Squad, I guess, but yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he begins a live-action treatment of Scooby-Doo in 1994, and... I was trying to figure out what the deal was with that, because if you remember when we did Zombie Island, the early 90s were kind of a dead period for Scooby-Doo, right? Like, we didn't have any new properties, uh, like, the movies, the animated movies were doing okay, but not super well, and it wasn't until Zombie Island was released in 98 that there was, like, a renewed interest in the property. I can only assume it was the release of the Flintstones movie that made people want to start looking at Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Mm. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Good call. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the end of the decade, so like we're like six years ago by, we haven't got, we haven't cracked this nut yet. So the combined popularity of Scooby-Doo or Are You plus the MOOC animation films like Zombie Island, like Witch's Ghost, like Cyber Chase and Alien Invaders, along with the addition of the script and updated digital animation led Warner Brothers to fast-track production of the film. But... Mike Myers of the Austin uh, of the Austin Powers of Austin Powers fame. <laughs> no. the Austin Powers. <laughs> he was reported to be co-writing the screenplay with comedy writer Jake Hogan, and I had to look up Jake Hogan too. Um, he hasn't done a lot of work, but he's he's best known, if anything, for his work on The Simpsons, which oh. again makes sense. Well, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of like, but the humor of The Simpsons is not exactly the humor of Scooby Doo, and then you have Mike Myers, which I'm just like that. What would that have been like? You know, it would have been very R-rated, like. Book of Mormon, South Park, kind of. <laughs> but still with the fart jokes, right? Oh, for sure. Just amplified. God, I mean, amplified more than this movie? Actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> the sequel, the sequel, which I do believe is a better movie than this, if only because they all knew what they were making, does have Velma in a leather jumpsuit trying to fuck Seth oh, Green. While it, that was so wild. Yeah, <laughs> it continuously makes <laughs> fart noises. Who's mommy? <laughs> But here's the thing. I can see the Simpsons part of it because you, sure. you have to be smart to be stupid a lot of the time in comedy. And right. I would give Mike Myers credit for that as well. <laughs> so I wonder if they thought, you know, we're going to go Brady Bunch kind of revamp where it's both stupid but also smart. And that's why they were going after that pairing. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Put a pen in that because I will come back to this because I'm not going to lie. I didn't know any of this shit until, well, I guess until James Gunn made a big Facebook post for the 15th anniversary back in 2017. Right. But uh, okay. So yeah. So he comes on in July of 98 and, you know, Mike Myers is going to play Shaggy as well. So that that is also casting oh, that we have. Oh, going my on. God. oh no. <laughs> in October of 2000, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe it was on for too long. Or I, Actually, maybe Austin Powers took off. So he's like, I'm going to put on my eggs in that basket fuck scooby-doo that would make sense the timing is right Mm -hmm. Uh, because i think this comes out the same year as gold member or maybe like it's between spy who shagged me and gold member but in october of 2020 the film is officially given a green light and variety reported that raja gosnell had been hired to direct the film and raja gosnell hadn't really done much i know him mostly for directing never been kissed oh 
I know. love that one. So also, gold member 2002. Are we not going to mention Beverly Hills Chihuahua? Well, I, so I, that's Corey, the thing. all of Cinematic your references are different than ours. <laughs> okay, no, I was a freshman in college, and I saw Beverly Hills Chihuahua in theaters. It's a masterpiece. It's so good. <laughs> no, that is a great movie. Just to confirm, movie. this is the Taco Bell talking dog one, right? Drew Barrymore? Yeah. No, not Never Been Kissed. No, <laughs> Drew Barrymore voices the Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just going to go sit in a corner because I'm like a dry old husk of like not knowing what you two are talking about. Every anymore. time I go to Beverly Hills and like the Chihuahuas were here, like, it's, it leaves an impact on you. That those It's a film series. Oh, my God. Well, I just you uh, got to watch them. They're wild. I, I will not. I will not try to. I, I, I will not try to convince you that Beverly Hills Chihuahua is a good movie. I don't think it's I mean, I don't remember. I, don't, I haven't seen it forever. But um, unfortunately, I think <laughs> Scooby-Doo kind of pigeonholed Gosnell because after this, yeah, he did Beverly Hills Chihuahua. He's mm-hmm. done both Smurfs movies and a bunch oh, of other really obnoxious family shit. I mean, there's money to be made. And yeah, if, if he's having feel fun, like you're good like, at it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And you're right, Corey. Yeah, if he's having fun, by all means. And he clearly has the um the aesthetic down. There we go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But okay, so here's the the ace in the hole. They bring on James Gunn to write the script. And, you know, this is obviously very common knowledge by this point because Gunn has blown up. But at this time, Gunn hadn't done yeah. anything. So the only thing he had done, he had written the trauma film Tromeo and Juliet in 1996. And he also wrote the 2000 ensemble superhero comedy, The Specials. Now, have either one of y'all heard of this movie, The Specials? I've heard of it. I have not seen it. I've heard of it, yeah. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. I've never heard of this movie, but let me just... (laughs) So, it's directed by Craig Mazin, who went on to create um, HBO Chernobyl and their upcoming series adaptation of The Last of Us. But only after writing comedies like Scary Movie 3 and 4, The Hangover 2 and 3, Identity Thief, and Superhero Movie. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, we are all over the place there, aren't we? But the cast for this movie? Jamie Kennedy? Thomas Hayden Church, Judy Greer, Rob Lowe, Jamie Kennedy, Jordan Ladd, Gunn himself is in the movie. Like, Oh my god, I have to watch this. This sounds amazing. So anyway, so... That's that's Gunn's only credits, Tromeo and Juliet and the super the specials. So I don't know what he did to make Warner Brothers say, yeah, sure, you do this. <laughs> but Gunn did say that his biggest influence in writing this film was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein because it was both very, very scary and very funny, which is why he also chose to make the monsters real in the movie as opposed to making you know, your typical man in a mask for Scooby-Doo. Right. Controversial, too. Yeah. Yeah, which is why we, well, we kind of get that back in the second one, but it's like, you know, they're still real. Mm. One thing that I really enjoy about that, though, is like a lot of the Scooby-Doo movies you see, at least the ones in the 90s, one of the things that makes them so special about them being feature films is that frequently the monsters are real, which is Ghost, the monsters are real, Zombie Island, there are real monsters. Mm -hmm. There's a Loch Ness Monster one where the Loch Ness Monster is a robot, but then we find out that there's also a Loch Ness Monster that is real. And aliens, the aliens ones, the aliens were yes. real. And that's always been one of my favorite things is when, especially when there's like the fake out of like one of the things is fake, but then the right. monsters, some of the monsters are still real. And I think that's what makes the features like so separate from the TV shows. Well, mm. and, and it's kind of a franchise too, where it keeps, because again, there's a lot of tropes in Scooby-Doo, right? But right. they, as the franchise evolves, especially as it got more meta, I think Pup Named Scooby-Doo was the first time it really started getting meta with how like, oh, self-aware yeah. it was. I mean, you know, the, the bully was called Red Herring. Oh, my God. <laughs> he was so funny. He was he, so that funny. That was such a good show. 
I, Pup Name Scooby-Doo is also, yes, very, very, very good. But so when we did Zombie Island two years ago, we also double featured it with Return to Zombie Island from 2019, mm-hmm. where they retcon it and they make it so that it's not super, super real, or at least that they don't believe that it's real, which that that seems to be now. Well, Mm -hmm. that seems to be the direction the franchise is going now, where it's like, oh, we don't want to scare the kids too much, which that makes me so sad, because as you said, Corey, yeah, that period of the 90s and 2000s, like, they weren't afraid to do that, and then I mean, I guess Mystery Incorporated kind of like, you know, fizzled mm-hmm. out after two seasons. So they were like, okay, let's go back to the the tried and true formula. Well, and then we got that Scoob shit, right? <laughs> Yo, yeah. Scoob. Controversial. <laughs> Probably the most controversial of any Scooby-Doo content. Well, because it's not a Scooby-Doo movie. It's... it's supposed to be like a launch pad for other IP, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which is hilarious because we do that all the time now, but it really didn't work for them. I will say, though, like, I really do miss them having the real monsters because that's one of the things that I felt like made me really appreciate monsters like i really wanted to be a cryptozoologist as a kid because Mm. i watched that loch ness monster thing where the loch ness monster was real and he was like nice and so i really credit that to making kids like creature features well because i think that that scooby-doo again is underestimated as a form of gateway horror and you know Mm -hmm. uh it I'll tell people that all the time where they're like, oh, why did you get into horror? And I was like, honestly, I think I just watched a lot of Scooby-Doo as a kid. And yeah. they always like come back like, what? I was like, okay, but like as a kid, like there were some things, like there was this one with the werewolf but that was green, that green skin that oh my always God, scared the, the crap wolf out of man. me. Yes. That is an excellent episode. But, so good. Um, <laughs> so scary. Yeah. And I think also one of the cool things about a lot of it is that with something like Zombie Island, for instance, where the pirate zombies are like almost being tortured, like they're not the monsters that we think they are like right. i think that's also a really powerful message that really it helps kids a lot of kids to see like not everything is what you think it is you know yeah. right i definitely agree with that so before again before we get to this controversy just really quick with the casting here so you know we got freddie prince jr and Sarah michelle geller coming on um they both them and and Matthew Lillard, they are like best buds because, you know, Lillard and mm-hmm. Prince Jr. acted in like five films. This is like the fifth of their five films they worked on together. Freddie Prince Jr. and Sam Michelle Geller met on I Know You Did last summer. So I think Prince Jr. and Geller do fine as Fred and Daphne. And by fine, I mean they, they speak their lines. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do much to make the characters their own. No. Exactly. Which I, I'm kind of, it's like, is it the fault of them or is it just the characters? Because again, Fred and Daphne aren't big personalities or not distinct whereas with shaggy and velma you do have that and so i don't know i disagree oh, here we go i think they de- <laughs> i think they definitely made the characters their own maybe in a more subtle way but i think like i don't know when you hear them in interviews there's that one interview where where sir michelle geller is talking about how it was such a feminist cartoon because it wasn't for right. men it wasn't for or it wasn't for boys it wasn't for girls it was for everyone and i mean her daphne is a very feminist character she's one oh, of the yeah. only you know there's the whole thing about her being a damsel in distress but she's not and she's able to save herself and i think sarah played the role really really well freddie i think i agree yeah. a little bit more but i still think he really played it in a way because fred is such a difficult character to portray in live action because he's always got to be kind of like the stone-faced leader of the group mm-hmm. and he played him very dumb which i think yeah was i think it was just a change well okay okay so l- let's let's just go into this thing. so <laughs> trace is like hmm how do we want to do this now or <laughs> i don't disagree but again like, i mean the, the runtime of this movie is like 87 minutes but honestly the credits roll at the 79 minute mark so it's a kind of a thing where i'm like 
I'm I'm sure I'm sure you tell critics like oh I wish I had I had 20 more minutes on the Scooby Doo movie they'd all like you know, die by suicide. Uh, so okay, this film was originally supposed to have a much darker tone, essentially poking fun at the original series, much like the Brady Bunch movie. Joe, as you said, it was set for a PG-13 rating. You know, Shaggy was going to be a stoner. There were many marijuana references. Um, Velma was going to be explicitly queer, according to Geller. After the cast had signed on, there was a change, and the film became more family friendly. And I'm gonna, there's different accounts of this because I cannot figure out what the truth is. Because mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. my thing is, I want this. Fo- I want to see this footage. I want to see yes. a cut of this. We deserve it, honestly. So yes, yeah, she goes. There's a change. The film became more family friendly. Um, we got some of the original adult jokes cut out. Some of them are in the deleted scenes, which, you know, we have Velma, you know, in a bikini, like, going nuts on Daphne. Uh, we have Velma getting drunk and singing You're Just Too Good to Be True in a karaoke scene. Um, that, those are fun. But again, these other jokes are like, but what else was there? So, mm-hmm. you know, there was supposed to be a kiss between uh, Daphne and Velma during the scene where their, their protoplasms are all swapping bodies because the fix for it was going to be, oh, if you kiss the other person, then you'll fix your protoplasm. But Right. That was, again, I, can't, I don't know if it was shot or not, but it was in the script. I can't believe we didn't get that. I mean, I can believe we didn't, but I'm so mad. Yeah, it's didn't. disappointing, right? Oh, absolutely. So 2012, Matthew Lillard doesn't ask me anything on Reddit. And about the, when someone asked him about the original concept, he says this. It was after the heat of Shrek, and the studio was all for a comedy that was above the kids' heads. They brought in James Gunn. He delivered this version of the script. All the things you think are in this script are in it. Smokey Van, Velma eyeballing Daphne, Fred being gay because of the ascot that was going to be a end of movie reveal. <laughs> Apparently also Freddie Prince Jr. played Fred as if he was gay the entire movie. That make I can kind of see that. Yeah. But the, okay, here's the thing, and this is where the, 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 the difference comes in. So Lillard says, when we tested it, the parents flipped their lids and Warner Brothers got scared. It's one of the crown jewels in their library and they couldn't risk a backlash. Also, the, de- the original demons were very very scary so they had to soften them a bit for the final version Hmm. the fact that he says they tested it that would imply they filmed this version there is a print of it somewhere and it exists you would think it would have been leaked by now like someone's got to have their hands on it well this is why okay so Flash forward five years, 2017 15th anniversary of the film, James Gunn the film screenwriter, goes on Facebook and posts this, he goes memories of Scooby-Doo the movie incredible 15 years ago today, the first Scooby-Doo movie opened. For those of you who don't know, I wrote the screenplay for this film, and it was my first studio film, only having made Tromeo and Juliet and the specials before it. I had loved the character of Scooby-Doo since I was a kid and was excited at the prospect of making a live-action film with 2002's cutting-edge technology. And then he has a bunch of (laughs) exclamation points and question marks and uh, parentheses. (laughs) Yes, it was not exactly what we had planned going out. I had written an edgier film geared toward older kids and adults, and the studio ended up pushing it into a clean-cut children's film. And yes, the rumors are true. The first cut was rated R by the MPAA, hmm. and the female star's cleavage was CGI'd away so as not to offend. But oh you know, <laughs> such is life. I had a lot of fun making the movie regardless of all that, and I was also able to eat, buy a car, and a house afterwards. So, okay, he says we got an R rating by the MPAA. That would even imply that, because okay, with Lillard's version, it was like, okay, we're doing a PG-13, kind of an edgier version, like Brady Bunch movie, but an R rating? That footage isn't in the deleted scenes. Yeah, I wonder if it was really violent. Either really, yeah, I mean, it could have been the creatures were really scary. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if maybe there was also language, right? Because we know yeah. that the MPAA came down, well, continues to come down hard on films for, what is it, Trace, three F-words? 
five. Uh, so you can say t- maybe three two. if it's like a fuck you. But if you say even one in an I'm going to fuck you kind of way, that's an automatic R. So I wonder if it was just like a combination, right? Like the content was more adult. It was scarier. And then maybe there was some profanity. Maybe. I mean, we have, you know, Daphne that makes sense. here saying, like, I'm going to open up a can of 2,000-year-old chi- Chinese whoop-ass on the coast. But, <laughs> uh, Corey, have you actually listened to the cast commentary for this movie? Yes. Okay. I, a, I used to listen to the, there's the, that was my introduction to commentaries as a teenager. I didn't know what they were. And I was like, oh, cast commentary. I, I listened to it again today. It is my absolute favorite thing. It's like, they are so, <laughs> you can tell they had so much fun making this movie. Yeah. And they just, it's like you're watching the movie with them in a room. It's great. I mean, I will say that, so I have not watched that because I mm-hmm. just watched this on Netflix. And I feel like you can see that this is one of those movies where the people, even in the parts of the movie that isn't maybe working, it's very obvious that they are having an absolute ball. Like, But it makes me so happy that they did because that, I feel like, adds so much to the atmosphere of the movie. And like, if you're working on a set, I mean, obviously you want to have fun on any set, but on like something like Scooby-Doo... That in such a film, it's that film is so wild. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would hope that the actors were having like the time of their lives. I, I would hope so as well. And actually, I saw a piece of trivia that was like, oh, uh, the most of the cast disowned the movie. And I was like, no, 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 no. That Absolutely is not, not true at all. <laughs> that sounds like clickbait. Well, they do all agree that the second one's better. But, but, but the reason I say that is because, again, this is the first time I had seen this movie since knowing all of this behind the scenes information. Mm-hmm. And so watching it, knowing at once at once this was PG-13 or maybe even R, you can see some of it here. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. But again, because the, the movie we have is not the movie they were trying to make. I think that's really yeah. where a lot of the film's failures. I mean, yes, there's a lot of stupid humor in this. But I think they had to add more of it or at least emphasize more of it once they started moving down to that PG family friendly rating. Because right. it's like, oh, we don't have anything else. <laughs> I mean, there's still a good amount in there where, like, I recently watched this with my younger cousins who are eight and five, Mm -hmm. where a lot of the jokes I had to be like, oh, I don't know what they mean by that. (laughs) I'm not going to be the one to explain it. Yeah, yeah. So there is still a lot of adult content in here. I mean, especially, like, there's so many hints to Shaggy and Scooby being potheads. There's so much about, so much sexualization of Daphne. We do lose all that queer content with Velma, but we do get Velma in a nice cleavage. Mm -hmm. In a cleavage. I think, I, and I don't know, I don't have any reason for saying this, but I think this is a very queer movie in the anyway. like in the possession parts alone i don't mm-hmm. know necessarily why mm-hmm. no <laughs> absolutely that, but it just screams like queer movie to me especially when they're all switching bodies and they're all switching genders like oh yes i definitely picked up on that as well mm-hmm. and at the risk of like being like oh i'm calling everything camp this movie is oh this is absolutely <laughs> camp. i think this is absolutely. children's camp <laughs> for sure well, that's one of the fun things about Scooby-Doo. I would say this is intentional camp, though. Oh, well, but, but that's a thing, right? Because they were trying to be subversive. They were trying to pa- parody, lovingly parody, this IP. And then they were like, oh, no, sorry, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the production design of this entire film is camp. I'm sorry. Like, oh, this is this is a it's movie. It's awesome. I just remember watching this as a kid and thinking it was, like, the coolest thing on the planet and wanting to go to Spooky Island so bad. I was going to say, yeah, I feel like that's the big selling feature, particularly for younger audiences. Like, sure, it might be a little bit scary and dangerous, but, like, but who the fuck the doesn't want to go to Spooky Island and experience oh, yeah. all this? Which actually... <laughs> In the cast commentary, when we get that first aerial view of, uh, of Spooky 
island. You have Sarah Michelle Gellar's like, that doesn't exist. I feel like we should tell everyone that we were so excited to go to an amusement park and this doesn't exist. (laughs) It's so sad because like if this, I don't know, I feel like if they had turned Spooky Island into something big, they could have made an amusement park for it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Or at least a ride, which they do have a ride in, I believe, Australia, but like that's in Australia. And so that's not the same mm. thing. But but that would be because, so this film was shot on location in and around Queensland, Queensland, Australia. We are shooting from February of, of 01 at the Warner Brothers Movie World theme park with over 400 cast and crew taking over the Tangaluma Island Resort for six weeks to film all the scenes set on Spooky Island. Also in the commentary, Geller says if she ever goes back to Australia, she will never stay at this resort again. And I don't think it was a condemnation of the resort, but more so it was like a, I spent so much time there, I never Mm. want to go back. (laughs) Oh, poor Sarah. And then, yeah, production wraps in June. So we've got four months of production for this 79-minute long Scooby-Doo movie. That is a very long time. Like, sure, there's a lot of effects and action sequences, but, like, that's longer than some action movies. That's really, that's a lot of time. Well, and again, how much, because how much did they shoot Mm -hmm. that they wound up not using? Oh, I didn't even think about that part. Yeah, so I mean, again, there could be another (sighs) hour of footage for this movie that we don't know about. I mean, the budget's $84 million. We deserve that footage. They could be making so much money off of that like yeah. selling it yeah i don't understand why they don't they could just release two cuts with different ratings yeah yeah but um well but that's the thing. i feel like if scooby-doo wasn't still popular with kids we would have that cut oh, but yeah. because it is like it has this staying power again since what 1969 this franchise will not mm-hmm. die <laughs> It, so I think no, that's but it's, why. I think that's a testament to just how good it is because, like, we have had it for so long and we have seen so many different takes on it. And as I said, like, I like them all. And at least that's my personal opinion. Like, I think they all have really interesting things. And I think the characters are so interesting themselves that there's just, like, an endless amount that you could do with them. Because when you really break it down, the whole setup of this show – and the characters is just perfect. And it's I told wild. Joe last night, because I, I hadn't seen this. I, mean, I used to watch this a lot as a teenager, mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen it in several years. And I was like, I was kind of nervously worried that I was going to watch this and be like, oh, God, this is like obnoxious. <laughs> like, I cannot stand this. And I kind of felt like that for about 10 minutes. And then I just like kind of like I giggled. I giggled throughout the entire runtime <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> So, also, I should point out, James Gunn got offers for every single, like, cartoon to live-action movie you could imagine. Like, he got, oh, like, I'm sure. Jabberjaw, The Jetsons, Captain Caveman, all offered to him. <gasps> Jabberjaw! So, yes. And none of them came to fruition, huh? No, oh. and he said, I'm not going to do that, and he decided instead to go write the Dawn of the Dead remake. Right. You know what? Good for him. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Scooby-Doo opens on June 14th, 2002, and it opens with $54.1 million that weekend, making it the number one at the box office, holding off newcomers The Born Identity and Wind Talkers. But it also made it the third biggest opening of 2002 after Spider-Man and Star Wars Episode II. And it also ranked as the biggest June opener ever beating previous record holder Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, which earned just a little bit under that three years prior. That's amazing. Yeah. It ends up grossing $153 million uh, domestically and $122 million overseas for a worldwide gross of $276 million, making it the 15th most successful film worldwide of 2002. So a huge flop. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, unfortunately, because the second one would open in March in 04, and it did about half the business. And so the planned third sequel, uh, I'm sorry, third film in the franchise was canceled. Yeah. Wow. Nevertheless, while it made a lot of money, uh, critic-wise, it didn't do so well. There were a lot of doo-doo puns and, and reviews for this movie. <laughs> oh, gee, how clever. At first, I was going to say, they just don't get it. And then I thought about, like, the 10-minute fart scene, and I was like, oh. Yeah. Right. That, that one is a bit hard to take as an adult. Yeah. But also, you have to appreciate... I'm probably not the target audience, just even for this scene alone. I don't know. I remember being a kid and still being like, this is too much. Uh, well, <laughs> really? okay. I, I, I will agree that it's too much. However, however, the punchline of when he does his like little heel kicks at the very end before that is Daphne so catches them. Funny. That's good. And the payoff, again, when they're all dressed up in like the, the knight's outfit and he farts on Velma's alchemy fire and it blows up mm -hmm. in her face. Oh, that makes I, it worth it. <laughs> I fully laughed at that part. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, uh, so we're looking at a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, an average score of 4.5 out of 10. Uh, Metacritic, we've got a 35 out of 100. But CinemaScore audiences gave it a B plus, and Letterboxd users have it at a 6.2 out of 10. So hmm. clearly, I, I don't know, I don't really see people talk about this movie that much, but it clearly has its fans. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, critics hated this. Roger Ebert gave it one out of four. Peter Travers uh, said, get out your pooper scoopers. Uh, it's like, <laughs> entertainment more disposable than Hanna-Barbera's half-hour cartoons ever were. Rude. <laughs> like, no one liked this movie. I'm sorry, no critics liked this movie. And I, But again, could you just imagine sitting next to Roger Ebert in the theater watching Scooby-Doo? <laughs> no. That's my dream. <laughs> And then to, like, argue with him about it. What do you think of this? Hey, hey Roger, <laughs> do you like that? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and that's really it. I mean, that is Scooby-Doo. And, you know, we, I figure as we go through the plot, you know, we can try to see if they, um, I don't know, if we spot any any risque elements. Because, yeah, I mean, this movie is a, let's say, a hard PG rating. Mm -hmm. But let's go. Let's go. So we open with Scooby taking a bite out of the WB logo. Yes! And then we <laughs> then transition over to the Wow-O Toy Factory, where Mystery Incorporated is in the midst of solving the mystery of the Luna Ghost. So... First, there is an alternate opening sequence where it's a completely animated one, and we basically like just do the opening credits over what kind of looks like a kind of a, a a quick summary of an episode of the show, but it leads into the Luna Ghost in animated form capturing animated Daphne, and then we cut to the Wild Toy Factory in animated form that then morphs into live action. So it's huh. I don't know why they cut this opening because it's a great it's a great yeah. way to do it, but they didn't, and we have this which. I still like this opening a lot because this does feel like a truncated episode of the show. We see this in a lot of at least more contemporary Scooby-Doo iterations in the movies, at least. We see a lot of like, not necessarily fake, but like mysteries solved that we don't get to see. Mm -hmm. Just the ending chase. And I love that. Yeah, it's interesting because there is a, an almost tried and true formula to doing this kind of thing, right? Like Trace, I'm thinking our audio commentary for Gremlins 2 this month on the Patreon yep. also opens with an animated sequence that feels like a deliberate homage to the history of the IP, but then also it's like... And now we're easing you into the live action of it all. I mean, just even for nostalgia purposes. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't because Gosnell does have a commentary on it. And I, I don't remember what he said, like why they didn't do it. But it, it's just kind of weird. Nevertheless, uh, what, what we, one of Daphne's, the, one of the first lines spoken in this movie is, now I really have a wedgie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, also, don't we get Pam Anderson in there? Well, okay. We do, 100%. That is so wild. That is an homage, clearly, to the new Scooby-Doo movies, you know, when they would have their celebrity mm -hmm. guests on every episode, like Sonny and Cher and Batman and the Harlem yes. Globetrotters. But 
Yeah, th- this is the one where I'm like, well, that was clearly for the adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I wonder, too, if she had more dialogue in the original cut of this film. Oh, my God. I want to see it. <laughs> well, it also feels like, you know, looking back at 2002, 20 years ago, this feels like the perfect celebrity cameo. Like, yeah. 100% we'd be calling in Pamela Anderson with her big boobs and her big watch hair so that she could <laughs> come in, do the sex pot thing, and then be like, all right, you're out. You know, thanks for coming by your one minute of screen time is up <laughs> i mean i wrote my notes in all caps and then pamela anderson drives the mystery machine through a brick wall <laughs> yeah like why is she driving it and then acting like she's a police officer she's involved in the investigation like i have a lot of questions about this opening sequence but well like trace was saying there is an iteration of there is a series of scooby-doo where they do have celebrity guests help them solve each mystery mm-hmm. okay so i think it was kind of like that like pamela was helping them solve the mystery because she was probably involved with it mm-hmm. and we also see this in the new scooby-doo halloween where bill nye and elvira oh yeah, solve yeah. The mystery. yeah they're, they're big with their guest stars but also even in they're War- so good like the batman crossovers too yeah brave and the bold <laughs> yeah but yeah, like, but even Anderson's first, like, one of her first lines, she was, oh, this is a victory for any celebrity who wants to make a quality, economically friendly action figure. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so, th- but there's a bit of, like, commentary there. That, that, that is not for kids. Like, that is for the adults in the room. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I'm not saying this is the most genius line ever, but again, had the movie stuck with that track of, okay, this is what we're going to be doing, again, like the Brady Bunch movie, it's like, you could have had a genius parody. Yeah. Well, and we're still seeing movies do this. Like last month, we saw the opening of the rebooted slash sequel Chip and Dale Rescue mm-hmm. Rangers. And mm-hmm. literally that movie is doing the exact same kinds of like, oh, let's make toys of this IP. Wait, what are we doing? Kind of jokes. And that's Lonely <laughs> Island doing that. So like yeah. a, a group known for their more adult humor doing a PG film. Whereas, you know, here we have Mr. Troma <laughs> doing a Scooby-Doo <laughs> adaptation. So I'm curious for you two with such a storied history with the cartoon iterations, how does the live action action look to you like i didn't i didn't love the daphne getting carried around by the luna ghost but i did enjoy the kind of wackiness of shaggy and scooby on their skateboarding ramp of death well i mean this is i mean again this is a truncated version of the show i love the scooby-doo stuff i mean the scooby-doo i love the skateboard stuff of course usually you would have daphne fred and velma together before daphne Mm -hmm. gets kidnapped so all of this is fine i also think a big part of the reason uh, because geller wasn't here for the whole thing because she was doing buffy season six at the same time right so like a lot of scenes where it's like where she's not on screen it's because she's not actually there (laughs) right that makes sense that is interesting because i definitely messaged you after i watched this trace and i was you know we were talking about how Freddie Prince and Sarah Michelle Gellar did not get the kind of rave reviews that yeah. Linda Cardellini and Matthew Lillard did. And we were trying to figure out sort of why. And I said, oh, it feels like she's just not in this movie very much. And now I'm realizing, oh, it's because she's not in this movie all that much. Well, and it's interesting, too, because the sequel is acknowledging. Well, sorry, it doesn't acknowledge that because it actually gives Daphne less to do. But it puts Shaggy and Velma front and center. Like, they are the main characters. Although, Daphne's rival in the sequel is Alicia Silverstone. (laughs) What? Oh, my God. I... Why are we not watching that movie? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I told you it is a much better movie. 
That movie gave me like a personal vendetta against Alicia Silverstone for years as a kid. <laughs> because you sided with Daphne? Yeah. Like I never <laughs> trusted her again after that. I was so mad at her. And the same thing happened to me with Elizabeth, uh, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who was in Sky High, because she turns out yes. to be a bad guy oh. at the end of Sky High. And I cannot watch her in anything now because I constantly think about that. Actually, without <laughs> spoiling anything, though, the, there is definitely some queer content in Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters oh, Unleashed. Yeah. <laughs> Oh Here yeah, big time. You know what? Save it for like two years down yep. the road, and we'll do that. Anniversary we'll that too, yeah. March of 2024, guys. You heard it here first. <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ. but to get kind of back to Daphne, I think one of the things that is so d- weird about this movie is I wonder if they w- if the fight that they set up between Daphne and the rest of the gang and having mm-hmm. the whole gang split up. I wonder if they did that because of her shooting schedule or if that was originally <sighs> a plot in the movie because it does feel very weird to have them all kind of hate each other for a lot of it. Well, but okay, so, so that's the thing, right? So I feel like that's what a lot of I – because mean, the Flintstones did a similar thing, right? Where it's like, oh, we've mm-hmm. got to have Barney and Fred have a fight and like mm-hmm. you know, the families. And this does the same thing. And I always think that's a really stupid idea because you're coming because you like these characters. We shouldn't have that kind of conflict from them beforehand, which again is why the second one works better because they don't have that problem. I think it works, but it's like not what I would have gone with. Yeah, like, like put that put that plot in the sequel, not the first yeah, movie we're exactly. doing. You know, but you know what though? I would rather take that than an origin story. I mean, we did get some origin stories afterwards where they did fight, and so it kind of right. gave us more to what this could have been. But mm-hmm. it was still not really the same. Well, I mean, again, also with that sequel, you have James Gunn writing a movie he knows he's writing for PG, whereas this one right, is not the case. Right. This one definitely feels like, okay, we're gonna do the tried and true formula of breaking the band after we see how they function, if only so that we can introduce them sort of individually. Right. I think it also helps to explain how they're modernizing some of this. Like, Fred, we don't do anything with. He's still a narcissist and he's writing his own book, but the Daphne stuff feels too tailor-made to Sarah Michelle Gellar's public sure. persona, like, people coming into the movie are thinking of her as Buffy, so when she's like, oh, well, now I'm a black belt, you're just like, yeah, of course you are. Well, there are other iterations of Daphne where we see her have kind of this fighting skill, so okay. I do think it fit, I think it fit really well to have Sarah Michelle Gellar play her, because Daphne has always been a character that's been kind of more of a badass compared to, like, other female characters at the time period. Hmm. Well, so, okay, but were those iterations of Daphne where she's a bit more physical, let's say, uh, was that after this movie or before? It depends. Some of them are before and some of them are after. More of the ones after we see her actually doing, like, physical Mm-hmm. being a black belt like like physical fighting but even beforehand like she's always the one to come up with some kind of crazy plan that just always works and she's really smart and she always is able to like outsmart the villain and sometimes she does like physically attack them so she's got it but i think that's why i mean again like watching this franchise evolve you know where daphne begins the damsel in distress and yeah mm-hmm. now that is definitely not the case for this character in recent iterations too i do like that i do like that uh jo- joe did you by any chance get a chance to watch some of these deleted scenes I did not. I think I may have seen some of them earlier when the 15th anniversary came out because I was curious that there was a a harder cut Mm -hmm. of this potentially. But yeah, I think I was mostly just like, oh, so they made Velma a lesbian? Search for that. 
destroy search history. <laughs> that footage does not exist. Um, no, the, the, the only deleted scene where I'm like, oh, I wish they would have kept that in the film is actually when they're at the airport and they're saying, oh, I was doing this. I was doing this. Mm-hmm. We actually get flashbacks to what they were actually oh. doing. Oh. So, so Fred wrote a book. He's at like this convention and like he has two like teenagers at there and they were just making fun of him. They're like, why do you suck? Part of me feels like I've seen that. It, it's on the DVD. Why. It's on the Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, the other one, so Daphne, you know, she's doing um, she's doing martial arts in Japan, and she kicks herself into a tree and gets stuck. Like Velma's, <laughs> Velma's like, oh, I'm doing rockets, but I'm also on a journey of self discovery. Right. Well, then cut to her in group therapy. Velma, when did you first experience these feelings of low self esteem? Well, for a long time, I was part of a group where I didn't get the attention I deserved. Which group was it? Mystery Inc. Wow! Fred Jones! And that giant dog! Oh, and remember Daphne? She was so hot. I don't remember a Thelma. <laughs> we just got <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, because everyone always called her Thelma. Like, okay, there's your one joke with that movie and you cut it out! <laughs> Which is funny, right? Because it's not like we need to cut. I mean, I'm sure they cut it for pacing because it's still early in the film. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the movie couldn't have used the two extra minutes to the runtime. Yeah. It's a short movie. There is another random deleted scene where whenever Velma's like uh, meet cuting with that guy at the bar who I guess mm-hmm. is supposed to be her love interest. And is not Josh Peck. I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but basically she's like, oh, I'm a mystery ink. And he's like, is that that dude and his dog who used to solve mysteries? They were part of a larger group. Mystery Inc. Oh, yeah. I'm Velma. Velma. The smart one. Oh, right. Cool. (laughs) And you've always been a chick. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay, sorry. Back to this opening. They fight and they break up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we cut to about two years later, and we see that Shaggy and Scooby, who we should note we've not referenced, uh, Scooby is voiced by Neil Fanning in this film. An Australian. Yeah, I I heard a couple of people (laughs) say that the voice isn't quite right, because I gathered he's not the normal guy who does. Yeah. Yeah, this is his first gig. The guy that voices Scrappy-Doo, though, is Scott Ennis, and he voiced Scooby-Doo in all those MOOC animation ones. So the voice Mm -hmm. of Scooby in Zombie Island is the voice of Scrappy in this movie. Right. Okay. Can we make sure to talk about Scrappy later? Because oh, we, 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 we will, will talk, talk about, about Scrappy. Scrappy. Because I have a lot to say. I mean, look, really quick though. Do you like him in this movie? Or do you not like him in this movie? I don't like him in this movie, but I like Scrappy. Okay, no, I'm the opposite. I hate Scrappy Doo, and I love him in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's because that's because you're older than me, and it's a generation. I, I 100% it's a generational like, thing. It genuinely yeah. is. Yeah. No, I I fully agree because I'm from slightly older than Trace's generation, and I was like, I remember when the movie came out and reading reviews and people being like of course it's scrappy do that motherfucker i mean <laughs> but, but it is generational in terms of like when you were born i mean obviously i know that's that's age but like even that's as a kid, how generations no yes. <laughs> but what i mean is though like like as a kid i never liked scrappy do no i know but it was like that's what everyone from your generation says i swear no because but it's because the reason is because though when we got to like the the, the versions of scooby-doo where it was just scooby and scrappy yeah. and shaggy and those were the most suffer i was like i want daphne i want fred i want velma on this show you cannot just give me scooby scrappy and shaggy <laughs> yeah you want mystery ink you don't just want three of them that was the was one thing i wondered about when i watched all the spinoffs is like what was the goal here because obviously people like at least daphne and like i think 
most people would want Fred and Velma there. So, like, mm-hmm. why not have them? I have no idea what the reasoning behind that was. But th- th- that is why. Like, again, there was just chunks. It was like, I was only getting Scrappy-Doo yeah. in, in my yeah. cartoons. And I was like, go away. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if they Scrappy. were just like, oh, it's even more family-friendly if it's two dogs and then, like, the stoner See, but dude. why they couldn't have, like... Well, because the dogs are cousins, but, like, why they couldn't have had the rest of the crew. Scrappy is his nephew. Oh, he's his nephew. Scooby yeah. Dumb is his cousin. Oh, my God. You have totally lost me. Okay, I'm bringing <laughs> us back. Bring us back. Bring us back. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. So Shaggy and Scooby are getting toasted in the in the van. and <laughs> toasted. then And then they receive a commission by Emile Mondavarius to solve a mystery on Spooky Island. So yeah, they go to the airport, they find out the others have also been invited, we catch up on what they have been doing, and then we hop onto this plane. Wait, I'm sorry, but we are missing the very funny gag of Scooby wearing a (laughs) muumuu. Fred just buying into this whole thing because he's an idiot. I will say there were so many times in this movie where I just shake my head and go, oh, this movie. And then they (laughs) will point the camera at Fred and he doesn't get it. And I'm like, okay, now the payoff. It works for me now. Yeah. One of the funniest line deliveries for me, it's actually one of Freddie Prinze Jr.'s. It's when he's trying to say Mondavarius, but he's like, if Mondo Rajagaga is doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Mm Yeah, you know what? The more I think about it, the funnier he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we move on, let's talk about how Scooby looks. What do we think of this animation? Are we liking it? Are we finding it a bit janky? Thoughts? I mean, I think for what they had to work with at the time, it's pretty good. It's obviously horrifying to watch. <laughs> I think I think it's really scary. But I remember as a kid, like not really hating it. It is kind of alarming to think about how big Scooby is, because mm-hmm. when you watch him in the cartoon, you don't really consider that he's, like, a gigantic dog. He's just kind of, like, almost like a character. Right. And then you see him compared to, like, actual real people, and it's like, oh, my God, like, this is too much. You know, uh, you're not the first person I've, uh, or the second person I've heard say <laughs> it's horrifying. I actually, okay, for 2002, I think this looks fine. Right. Yeah. My issue is more so that because they're trying to make him look like a real Great Dane instead mm-hmm. of just a car- a CGI cartoon mm-hmm. object. And right. I think, I think it's like, a, I know it's like an uncanny valley almost. And so I think that's the issue. I almost wish they would have just done like a either Roger Rabbit at it with a 2D like mm-hmm. just cartoon mm-hmm. Scooby mm-hmm. or made this CGI creation look more cartoon like but like, right. and honestly I feel like the budget is really going to a lot of that but yes. that being said I think Scooby looks better than the demons oh god yes oh for uh-huh. sure <laughs> the demons do not look good but I also wonder though is it because they had to redo the demons yeah right well I also think one of the things about the live action movie where Scooby's design comes in is like I am interested in what Scooby would look like in real life if he were a real genuine dog. So I do kind of like that aspect of it, of him being a real dog, but it it just is kind of unsettling. So like now I know, but I don't want to know. <laughs> You're like, I know and I wish I didn't. Yeah, I'm like, I got, I have it now, I don't need to see it again. Like, right. Well, you will in Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. Right, which I would gladly watch because it's a wonderful film. But It's, it's so good. Uh, the demons were like my favorite thing as a kid. 
I thought right. they were the scariest looking things on the planet, yeah. and I loved them. And now I watch it, and I'm like, this looks so fake. How could you have believed this? They, they were critiqued in reviews as being like, this is not for children because they are too scary. Um, oh. I 100% had the Game Boy Advance game for this movie, where you had to wow. go through the Spooky Island Hotel and fight these demons. Mm. Um, it was quite oh fun. Oh my god, that sounds so cool. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't actually a very good game, but I really <laughs> liked it when I was 13 years old. Yeah. Corey's like, wow, that sounds great. What anti Antique shop, can I go and play that? At? <laughs> What's a Game Boy? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think, but I think for 2002, like this is above and above and beyond what that could have looked like. I think they look great because they yeah. hold up enough now where i'm like all right like i it's believable i think that sometimes there are times that with the the cgi looking shitty actually helps i mean again like, yeah. this is later it also in the film. takes away from the fear factor for the kids you know yeah but like at the moment when isla fisher's mary jane gets like she, her face hits a tree oh, and then she's yeah. like that looks like shit but it's also really funny it's so <laughs> fu- yeah also like the awkwardness of the demons and them because they're yeah. so stocky and weird. Like, it's really funny to watch them. I So I love the dimensions. It's like the, mm-hmm. the actual technical execution that doesn't entirely work for me. But, like, the long limbs and the way that they move, I actually quite like it. Yeah. It's really entertaining. As we, by the way, we're transitioning onto the plane now because mm-hmm. we have a needle drop of simple plants grow up as this yes. plane goes by. <laughs> Again, as a big fan of this movie, I absolutely bought this soundtrack day one and listened to it for the entire year. As you should. As I watched the movie, I was like, oh my god, all these songs that I used to do so much. It was like, oh, it was just the best. The best. This soundtrack rips. Well, yeah. Didn't Simple Plan go on to do the What's New Scooby Doo yeah, theme they, too? They absolutely See, did. They are part of Scooby Doo history. <laughs> Like, like Matthew Lillard starting in 2010 would just go on to keep voicing Shaggy in all the iterations. So, I mean. Honestly, he is like, I I know this is a popular opinion, but he's the only person besides Casey Kasem that like as long as he's living should be playing Shaggy. I will agree with that. I actually, I mean, I actually, I, we kind of skipped Linda Cardellini because she was only known for Freaks and Geeks really at this time. Mm-hmm. Well, un- unless you recognize her from Legally Blonde, which you should, but. Right. Yeah. She, she's really good as Velma and she would, she wouldn't go on to voice Velma, but I mean like, I, I do love this though. Her, um, <laughs> she, both her and Lillard would have a line they would have to kind of get into their characters' voices. And Velma's was just like, it's not even a line in the movie where it's like, Shaggy, we're not trying to make time. We're trying to find the creeper. <laughs> oh, my God. That is a very specific line. Yeah. I think Linda is, like, perfect as a live action Velma. But mm-hmm. as, like, an animated Velma, she does not have the voice that I at least expect Velma to have. Whereas I think, like... Matthew Lillard sounds pretty similar to the mm-hmm. original Shaggy. I just don't think Linda does. Huh. I will do this. Th- take this one moment, Corey, just to brag a lot. Okay, so, <laughs> The Curse of La Garona had its world premiere at South by Southwest, uh, and that's in Austin, Texas, where I live. And mm-hmm. I had the chance to go to a cocktail party with Linda Carlini in attendance. And mm-hmm. I got to walk up to her and just tell her, 
hi, I'm really sorry. I'm like 28 years old, but I really love you in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> she was probably like, oh, I used to hear that a lot, but I don't too I'm often. I'm sure she was flattered. I, I mean, she, yeah. if she wasn't, she hit it really well. And of course I was like, and I also love you as Hot Dog Water in Mystery Incorporated. <laughs> so, Hot dog water? Can we take a moment to talk about hot dog water? I mean, I will give you two minutes and then we have to come back. Hot dog water is Velma's lesbian love interest in Mystery Incorporated. Like, that is who this character is. At first, she's insufferable. So you're like, of course, she's called hot dog water because she's the worst. But then they, like, fall in love and it's really cute and it's so unexpected. And while it's not explicit in that show, despite the Mm. fact that the creator said, no, 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 she's gay. But yeah, no, absolutely. I, she, but she, she was a wonderful, wonderful person. I, that, that's like a highlight of my life. Where I was like, I love Ooh. you as Velma. I love you as hot dog water. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take this moment to let you both know that A Simple Plan is Canadian. So that is your Canadian content for this movie. Wow. I thought we were in trouble for a second. I was like, what did we do? <laughs> <laughs> also, you're both on notice. <laughs> Uh, no, okay, so they, they board this plane, yeah, we meet Mary Jane, who of course is also a weed reference, and- <laughs> Just got that joke this time, by the way, I totally like, Voss, I, I didn't, I never understood that. <laughs> like, that's my favorite name. I think it's easy to miss. Yeah, well, because he's so genuine with it, like- Yeah, he's not like, oh my god, you're my favorite person, mm-hmm. Mary Jane. <laughs> he like genuinely, genuinely is like that's my favorite name. Um, also the first thing I ever saw Isla Fisher in. Really, I did mm-hmm. not even recognize her. Well, because she has that blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, also apparently though, she made like, James Gunn is still really good friends with her. Oh, she seems like a really cool person. Yeah. Yes, very. Wait, like I get a genuine vibe off of her. Yeah, for sure. Corey, were you about to say like, oh, that was the first thing? Because were you thinking Wedding Crashers? No, <laughs> I was a really big. Now you see me fan as a kid. That's 2013, sweetie. <laughs> and I was and I was 10 years old. I was old, gonna so, say, let's yeah. do the math. <laughs> and what about it? <laughs> also, now you see me is also a lot of fun. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. So I I don't like the part with Shaggy getting distracted by the cat. That's that to me is like yeah. oh, okay. That's the juvenile humor that I'm mm-hmm. too old for, so it doesn't work for me. I didn't realize this until I read a couple of reviews and I think it was the critic at Salon who was like, this is the kind of movie where you go with the jokes and you either laugh or you're just going to get really frustrated with it. So like the fact that they take <laughs> a so plane true. to Spooky Island, but then they arrive by boat. And you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> okay. Wait, that's not weird though, because if the plane doesn't go to the island, you would go to the closest island and take a boat there. Sure. But I think most films would be like, and now we're getting off the plane oh, and getting out of this boat. Yeah. Yes, Exactly. It's a continuity era. But hey, but uh, that's not even the biggest one, y'all, because there is a Stepford Wives remake level of a plot hole in this movie. Not that it matters because it's Scooby-Doo. <laughs> what is the point of the training video, as we will see later? Oh, they train the monsters. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it, it does, because I'm, yeah. I'm in agreement with Corey. Like, they're going to get all of these monsters in human bodies, and then they have to send them out into the world when they take it over. So, like, yeah. they need to be able to act like humans. The goal is, like, an invasion of the body snatchers, kind of. Like, they want everyone to become these demons, so mm-hmm. the demons have to blend in with human life for a while. So they have to figure out how to do it. But the funniest thing is that... It's recorded by people who clearly don't understand any of this. So it sounds like a bunch of old people trying to use, like, young slang, and it's so entertaining. I will crush your bones into dust! (laughs) 
I will say, so this movie is in some ways very, very 2002, right? Like yeah. you can put a timestamp on it. But also I like the fact that even then they're making fun of the kind of like college, like, hey man, hipster dude, bro kind of language. You're yeah. Just like, well, I think weird. that's part of the Scooby-Doo aspect of it because Scooby-Doo has a lot of that like Jinkies like Mm -hmm. slang that maybe wasn't even I doubt Jinkies was something being used in the 60s I think that's just a Scooby-Doo thing if I'm correct right Um, yeah it was but we we do get a let's get jinky with it in this movie (laughs) I mean you had to expect at least one yeah yeah no but so I think it's also poking fun at that a little bit that would make sense so we arrive at this dock and we're greeted by Mondavarius, who is, of course, played by <laughs> Rowan Atkinson. As soon as I saw him, I was like, well, naturally it would be him. Who else He's would be excellent. in this movie? He's perfect for this role. And of course, I like that we get to see him in a, a dual kind of role. Like, it, it mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense when you get to the end of the film. You're like, oh, okay. Totally. Yeah, now I get it. Well, and apparently in the one of the first drafts of this, Old Man Smithers, who was the Luna Ghost, was going to be the main villain of the Spooky Island stuff as well. And Oh, huh. that could have worked too. Yeah, yeah, but hmm. I mean, well, then it wouldn't have been Scrappy. So, <laughs> right, there is that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Scrappy would have gotten his good name. You know, he would oh, yeah. have been tarnished, <laughs> defamed publicly. So they they get the lowdown from Mondavarius about like why they're there, and we see these college students who are automatons, and they have great strength, and everybody's like, okay, yeah, legitimate mystery. Let's get to work. So we follow Velma as she goes to the Spookapalooza ceremony that opens, <laughs> and we get to see there's a bunch of kids in the audience who are mouthing words, like there might be spells, and we see Nagutana, who is played by Stephen Greaves, who explains that the theme park was built over basically the equivalent of an ancient burial ground, and you're like, ooh, spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we see Shaggy taking Mary Jane out for a claw game date, and Scooby gets distracted and lured into the woods where we first meet the monsters. But we get the setup for the the film, one of those best jokes, which is the Melvin Dew. Yes! (laughs) So so we get a phone call for a Mr. Dew, and we get, oh, Melvin Dew? No, Scooby! Put that in your back pocket, because it will come back later, and it never fails (laughs) to make me cackle. So funny. You two are easy marks. That's just oh my God, word play. Come on. It's so good. <laughs> it's just it's at a it's at a point of such tension too that it's just it's so funny. Sco- Scooby has a couple really funny moments. Again, I'm thinking of whenever uh, uh, he's like, Shaggy's like, "Oh, you you drink out of the toilet," and he's like, "So do you." <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do it in the voice, Trace. Come on. Oh my god, no, I cannot. But no, uh, yeah. <laughs> so th- they use Scooby appropriately in this movie. Totally. Well, I like too that they make him the central focus, right? Like he mm-hmm. is, at the end of the day, it's revealed that he is the one with the pure heart or the pure soul. And as a result, he's what they actually want. So it makes sense that he is the central figure because he and Shaggy are also the ones who unite the group. Well, and just to, to kind of conclude our little touch on the Anna on the CGI earlier, he does feel like a real character in this movie. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. 
which is so hard to do with a CGI character. Yes. Um, and I mean, I, th- I think the uh, the voice actor was on set the entire time because he, he and Matthew Lillard actually became really close friends because mm. they wanted to work oh. on their chemistry together. So right. Matthew wasn't just talking to a line reader while there was a, you know, a severed Scooby head right. <laughs> like on, on the chair. No, that is so special, though. I feel like that really adds. I, I agree. So, I mean, again, like quibble with the animation all you want, but I do think that at least in, in the scope of this film, it does work. It does make Scooby feel like a real quote unquote yeah. character. So Daphne's part of the investigation is that she goes down to the beach and she learns about a spooky castle after interrupting the voodoo maestro, who is played by Miguel A. Nunez Jr. Joanna Man! (laughs) Oh boy. So my husband kind of like walked through at this point in the film and he was like, why is Daphne so stupid with the like... You want me to go to the spooky castle, so That's I'm not going decline. to, and it's reverse. And I was no, like, it's so funny. I know. I was very much like, oh, he's me when we covered uh, Zombie Island, where you're just like, yeah. oh, you just don't get it. It's fine. Keep walking. Keep walking. <laughs> uh, I will never forget you coming in there saying, I preferred Return to Zombie Island. <laughs> I thought it had a stronger plot. I maybe stand by that. I'm not revisiting. Goodbye. Return to Zombie Island is fun. It's not funny. Mother is that. It's, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's fine. It's fine. Maybe that's a yeah. generational thing. But no, uh, I, I do love this. Yeah. Like this. Um, and you knew I did the opposite of what you said. So you told me not to go up the castle. So I would go up to that castle because you said I'd have to capture me. Unless you knew I figured it out. So you told me not to go up to the castle. So I would think that you wanted me to go just like you didn't want me to. Bam. It was very like, oh, Sarah Michelle Geller has practiced saying speed lines on Buffy. And as a result, they can give her these kinds of tongue twisters. Like, wait, what is she even saying at this point? She's been going on for two minutes. Which Prince Jr. will struggle with that later because he has a line where he's yeah. like, Velma, exit through the entrance here. Daphne and I will go through this thing over here. And then Shaggy and Scooby, it's like, he could not say the line. <laughs> yeah, he's just not saying it fast enough. Right? Yeah, exactly. So they do go up to the spooky castle after Daphne blackmails Shaggy and Scooby with, of course, Scooby Snacks. And this is when Fred and Velma show up and the queer radar went off a little bit because we see Velma immediately tickles Daphne and you're just like okay interesting interesting she wanted to scare the patootie out of her right because of course they are mystery investigators fred declares that they should immediately split up which they do well but 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 this is automatically already subverting expectations for fans of the show because it is always fred and daphne with sometimes velma and scooby-doo going off on their own sometimes with velma i'm sorry scooby and shaggy going on their own sometimes with velma so i love that we immediately get rid of that and daphne goes off on her own (laughs) yeah yeah well that's one of the things that i think is so interesting about this movie is that it really changed a lot of the dynamics that we didn't like get to see it Mm -hmm. or i guess created dynamics we didn't get to see before which i mean there's been so much scooby-doo content before this so yeah you would think it would be really hard to do that. So I really appreciated that, how we got to explore the characters more. Well, I think, too, because, again, like, like, what, even though this isn't the exact parody they were trying to make, this, at, at its heart, is still kind of a parody where we are spoofing mm-hmm. elements of this cartoon. And mm-hmm. I think when it comes to parody, there's a fine line between, like, gentle poking and just right. kind of mean-spiritedness. And this yeah. is clearly made by people who at least have a reverence for the cartoon show. So it right. never feels like they're hatefully poking fun at this franchise. 
Absolutely. Like, at no point do I think, oh, these people hate this fucking show and they Mm -hmm. just want to modernize it. It's very much like, hi, are you looking at these costumes? Clearly, we have reverence for the originals. (laughs) Can we talk about the costumes real quick? Absolutely. Because they are so good. Especially, like, the fact that they were able to get Daphne's wrap dress so well. Like, Mm -hmm. I love it. It's modern. It's 2000s. But it's still... It's still got, like, that 60s feel, and yes. it, you can obviously tell it's Scooby-Doo, and I just think it was so perfect. I will say the only thing I wish that was different about Daphne is I wish they gave her the, the hair. Like, she's missing the bang yes. that Daphne has. Uh, and I, right. I wish they had dyed her hair a little more red, like yeah, a little more, yeah. yeah. This is looking a little Kool-Aid, right? Yeah, like, it, they could have just gone for more, I don't know, something something brighter, something that would be more clearly ginger like a ron mm-hmm. weasley ginger you they know? um I, I, i'll stop mentioning the sequel i promise but like they do fix the hair for daphne in the sequel that's but true her wardrobe gets more outlandish like she, it's mm. still very purple right <laughs> but but it's like big fur coats made of purple oh my god <laughs> but that's where i see i feel like i see that for daphne because she's always oh, kind yeah. of been the fashionista well she's mm-hmm. the rich one her parents are rich yeah, so it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy tracking the various costume changes throughout this film because Daphne yes. has a number of them. So so does Velma, but it feels like a visual payoff to the airport scene where she's complaining about not being able to bring seven pieces of luggage because <laughs> I feel like Daphne is in a different outfit every time we see her in this movie. Yeah. Her rebuttal to that, by the way, is that is so economy. true yes daphne (laughs) you rich bitch she's right sometimes on this cast commentary i can't tell when they're joking or not because they'll just say stuff and be like oh but like whatever but they claim that cardellini's hair is not a wig it is actually her real hair wow i mean i will say you could definitely tell who is wearing a wig and one thing i did appreciate is that in the opening sequence their hair all looks like uniformly their hair looks like absolute garbage to the point where i was like (laughs) the wigs are so distractingly bad i'm not going to be able to not notice them and then when they come back after the two years like it's all fixed and they look prim and proper and i'm like oh okay they're just haggard at the end of a mystery and then they've Mm -hmm. had this two-year break and now they look movie star perfect yeah and i also love i was obsessed with daphne's platform boots Uh, her platform purple boots because they're incredible and when you look at like there's a Versace collection that came out of these platform boots that look just like this that are like purple leather boots. Oh, and really? I feel like Daphne was the inspiration for that. And even Velma has like some platform shoes in this that I just, I don't know. I love them. It's just, I mean, again, I think this movie accomplishes something that's very rare. Mm-hmm. These are clearly costumes. Like they look oh, yes. like the, the costumes yeah. from Scooby-Doo, but they don't, they don't look like bad cosplay. Yeah. And I think that's something that can really happen when you're adapting, especially a cartoon where it just mm-hmm. looks kind of like gaudy and cheap. This is just well, gaudy-ish with fashion chicness. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, they're, it's like they're real clothes. Like I could probably wear some of this stuff outside and people wouldn't be like, oh, mm-hmm. that's clearly a Scooby-Doo reference, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, it was giving me somewhere between Romy and Michelle's high school reunion and Jawbreaker. Yes, absolutely. All right, so camp. There we go. A little bit (laughs) of camp, but just also like movies that aren't afraid to use color. Like, my God, we especially in the back half of the 2010s, it's been nothing but like a rain and shade parade, especially Mm -hmm. with a lot of like the 
I'm going to say it, the DC superhero universe where you're just like, yeah, how do we connote mood? Well, just make everything fucking dark all the time. <laughs> so it's really nice to see movies that aren't afraid of color. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the things about that made Scooby-Doo so special, I think, is because Scooby-Doo has always been about the color. Like, it's always been very important to the series. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that they continued that. And the fashion is just so much fun. And movies where, like, you can tell that the costume designer, like, really went all out and wasn't afraid to dress the characters like in really cool ways i think Mm -hmm. just makes it a hundred times better like that's one of the biggest appeals of oceans eight to me is the fashion or like a simple favor Mm -hmm. and that's that's just like this yeah yeah i mean i i think obviously shaggy doesn't really get anything fun fred Mm -hmm. has his his one sort of standard outfit and he wears it well but like yeah belma and daphne are really bringing it in this movie especially when they get the it's not possession, really, but like when the monsters go into them mm-hmm. and Velma's outfit just cha- and Velma oh. changes her outfit to have more cleavage. Yeah, like and her stuff. boobs are just out all of a sudden. <laughs> Which the, so hey, when when Shaggy meets Sugar Ray, uh, I'm sorry, when Daphne meets Sugar Ray, you know she walks away, mm-hmm. and Shaggy has an altercation with Fred, where you know Fred's like, "Oh, well, hizzy, hizzy, huzza!" Basically, they hear a loud noise, and Shaggy turns around, he turns back, and like Fred is like already about, he's like monstering at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a deleted scene where you ex- you find out what that noise is, and it's because when Daphne leaves Sugar Ray, she goes to the locker room and finds Velma in, in her new outfit doing this dance with all the girls, and she's like, hey, well, I want to talk about the monsters, and Velma Cardellini gets to do that really creepy scene where she's like, There is one thing I do remember those creatures doing. Uh-huh. Half scream. Scream? Uh huh. Kind of like. Oh my god. Whoa. And Daphne runs out of the room, and that's the sound that Shaggy hears that distracts him when Fred attacks him. Wait, that sounds amazing. It, it sounds amazing, but not in a, a good fit for yeah. What, yeah. this final product. No, that's really scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that is something you can see. It is on the DVD. All right, then. So we're we're actually at another reasonably scary scene. This is our first kind of big action sequence of the new adventure. It's when all of these ride parts come alive. So Daphne gets caught on a moving ride. Uh, I've already forgotten what happens with Velma and Fred. Hallway of axes. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, to me, the <laughs> probably the best part of this entire movie, you two will hate this because you're like, going to be like wait what all the is it the feast i love the feast the feast is <laughs> no the feast is awesome it's so gross and weird and freaky yeah. like and i think well, it's, it's actually really well done visually it's so scooby and shaggy like in almost every episode of right. scooby-doo you see them have some kind of feast where they're like well scoob let's find the kitchen and then you mm-hmm. know the monsters come in so i feel like we needed that Right. Yeah, well, yeah, we're turning food against them. I mean, mm-hmm. it may not be my most memorable, like, sequence to me, but I just think this this entire set of this castle, this ride, mm-hmm. and, and they built this. They built this entire ride, by the way. Wow. <laughs> it is so cool. Give it to us. The public deserves to ride that. <laughs> Amen to that. But but it does feel like a cartoon come to life. Like, this scene yeah. specifically right. feels like a set from the cartoon that is just brought on screen. And again, Absolutely. that's your goal. Great. This is perfect. Yeah, I, I'm 
less certain about the kind of cartoony feel of Daphne grabbing this Damon Ritus, but it's yeah. it's a fun bit for Daphne because you 100% think she's going to get caught in this cage and then she manages to escape in time. Barely. Barely. It's lucky for her. Did I miss this though? When Did they find out it's called the Damon Ritus or does Velma just say it's the Damon Ritus? <laughs> Isn't Velma researching it? Doesn't yeah. she figure yes, it out? Yes, at the bar before she does her drunken karaoke in that deleted scene. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're coming up on it. We have to make it through the farting sequence first. Right. Oh, God. That's all I have. It's just, I okay. was just like, <laughs> it's a farting contest. And then we tell Emil that he is a suspect in all of this. And then we move on. I watched this with my little cousins and they wanted to watch it like 50 times in a row and e- even they were like we can skip this like we don't find this funny and one of them is like five and she was like i'm already tired of this oh dear well never i mean we, we at least uh, yeah, the aforementioned training video mm-hmm. I, I do love that so after the i crush your bones into dust we get the no big whoop dog yo did you catch that new vid on the box True dad, I'm up to the sniz up on all popular trends. Oh my god. That's one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. It's incredible. So, when, when, because uh, again, we, we, I, I love the scene where, you know, I, we said the word shaggy farts on Velma. Hi. Oh no. But again, having them all dress up to hide mm-hmm. in the background, like that is classic Scooby Doo. Yeah. Right. Which will segue into as they run out of the building uh, by the All Stars' song Bump in the Night, which is a fucking banger of a song. But if you watch their faces closely when they're leaving, when they're like running out of this castle, mm-hmm. they are all laughing hysterically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you, you can't hear it because the song's playing it, but they're supposed to be, like, terrified running out of this thing. Right. And Linda Cardellini, it's like, it's like, it's like Matthew Lillard just told her a joke, and she is laughing her ass off, but trying to hide it by holding her oh, head Oh, I'm down. sure that's what happened. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. There we go. So they make it back to the hotel and they kind of say, okay, I'm going to research my individual bit. Yeah, this is when we get Velma explaining the Damon Ritus to a cute boy. He is played by Charlie Cousins. I wrote it down because he's a character, but he actually doesn't even have a name. He's just like <laughs> listed as, I think, Velma's boyfriend, like, but with a very definitive space in between the words. You know what? Treating male characters like female characters. There I we can go. It. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He gets about as much character development as most women do, so. It's true. And honestly, when he comes back at the end of the film, I was like, get him out of here. Why (laughs) did he bring him back? (laughs) Which, again, Seth Green is a really good romantic love interest for her in that sequel because it's one of those, like, he might be the bad guy or does he really like her because he's a nerd too. We don't know. Right. Okay. Yeah, and they're so cute together. So even cute. though she sh- oh, even though she should have been gay, but right? yeah. if she yeah. wasn't going to be gay, they're Oh, cuz they give her new hair in the second one too. Like she looks a lot sexier in that second movie. Oh yeah. They really sexualize her in the next one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> For the <It's> kids. Awesome. <laughs> also, I feel bad after what you just said, Corey, because I'm like, oh, Seth Green playing like the straight second fiddle when characters either become gay or can't be gay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe she's bi. There we go. Who knows? Shots. 
Yeah. So this is where we get what I thought was a completely innocuous flashback to Mystery Inc.'s Better Days, where, you know, it, it's important that oh, we're God. hearing it from Velma's perspective. So we hear about how Daphne is so beautiful and Fred knew how to accessorize. So that's where you're seeing those queer scenes that were cut. Mm-hmm. But then we also get the introduction of Scrappy Doo. yes we do one of his only lines in this movie is he tells Fred you don't have the scrote for this job (laughs) how did they squeeze that by the censors I don't I, I think it's a really like not blink but like you blink your ears and you'll miss it line and then he pees on dad I, I love mm-hmm. how immediately all of them are like they just hate this character so much yes. <laughs> I mean first of all what an incredible line like I'm gonna oh, so use that someday it's amazing but um <laughs> Oh, God, it's such an uncomfortable scene to watch, and, like, no one is having a good time. Mm-hmm. And just seeing him left on the side of the road is just, it's so sad. Well, and it's so funny because – not that I'm going to, like, give the, the, this movie credit for, like, oh, like, with the twist ending. Mm-hmm. But, like, you think this is the end of this character. Like, you think, yeah. oh, this is your fun, like, oh, Easter egg for fans who hate Scrappy yeah. Doo. Exactly. There you go. Like, we got him. We dumped him on the side of the road. You never have to see him again. <laughs> That was 100% my experience. Psych. I was like, why is the scene in this movie except to acknowledge that we hate Scrappy-Doo? Okay, let's move well, on. Well, yeah. When I rewatched it, I was like, oh, it was because they had to introduce Scrappy for the people who didn't know him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he wasn't just like a random guy to pop up at the end. So because, right. Joe, I, I know you said you couldn't remember if you had seen this movie or not. So ha- had you seen this movie before? I don't think so because whole passages of it don't look familiar, but okay. I could have sworn I remember something about like, like I've, I've seen the creature design before and I feel like I remembered seeing either images or maybe video of like the characters getting the bad breath that knocks them out. Mm-hmm. Well, nevertheless, I'm happy that you clearly didn't know that Scrappy-Doo was the villain <laughs> of this movie. I will say it's an unexpected twist. There we go. Scooby-Doo really pulled one over on me. Maybe I will give it credit for a twist ending then. There you go. (laughs) Scream what? Right. Listen, I I think it was better. It was more surprising than the scream ending. (laughs) I was more surprised. Yes. You heard it here first, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we come back to the present day, and this is when the CGI monsters attack the lobby. We see that Fred and Velma are put to sleep, and they are taken away, and Daphne grabs the box before it can be gotten Scooby is pursued by the creature, so once again, he seems to be the object of their interest, and then he ends up plummeting them out a third-story window. (laughs) All this entire scene set to the tune of The Man with the Hex, also a song that I played on repeat the summer of 2002. It's so good. This soundtrack is unbelievable. So good. Oh, yeah. trust me. I never. I don't know who MXPX is. I've never heard of them before, but they do the Scooby-Doo theme song for this movie, and it is great. Yeah. I love it too, Trace. It, it feels like you're desperately trying to reference as much music as you can to make up <laughs> for the fact that you generally suck balls at doing it in every other episode. <laughs> well, it's because, it's because the music that I know is going to be from film soundtracks. Like, that's it. And it's not all film soundtracks. It's just the ones that Scooby-Doo. I care about. <laughs> Right. And Scooby-Doo. 
a very yeah. select discuff discuff discography discography, discography. yeah go. but i will say because I, I my cd i have the cd in my car still but mm-hmm. just you know for mobile purposes i went ahead and bought it on apple music today <laughs> get out Good. there and support the artists well yeah i'll also say like scooby-doo has always had really banger themes and like every iteration of it, like the soundtrack usually is really good. So I'm glad that they brought that into the 21st century. I mean, look, we know that Zombie Island has a banging soundtrack, but it also oh. like, in the original show, like you know, whenever they were on a chase and a monster, it would be like like a, a monkey style song, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, and it's so fun, and you see that even in the iterations today. It's yeah. just like a beautiful thing that is part of the franchise. It's yeah. a carryover piece. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody's getting carried away by these monsters and Shaggy wants to kind of give up and just make a run for it. And this is when Daphne says, nope, we're, it's our turn. We're going to solve this mystery. And they try to call in the Coast Guard, but it appears that they're in on it. <laughs> That's such a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to so commend... St- Stupid, this, the, I, this act, I want to commend this actor for just really committing to this. Oh my god! Twenty second part. <laughs> that like that that like little eyebrow raise. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. It's so funny <laughs> because like he just tells his friend, "Our friends have been kidnapped." <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> oh, Isla Fisher does a really good delivery too. Where she's like, "Yes, our friends have been um, kidnapped." <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Code word to activate. so they wake up on the beach and all of a sudden the destroyed hotel is completely renovated everybody seems to be back to normal and they're like wait what the fuck and the weirdest thing about everything is that there's a sugar ray performance happening by the pool (laughs) which again very 2002 I will tell you, Joe, I, I actually did know who Sugar Ray was, but I only knew who Sugar Ray was because of this movie. <laughs> oh God, get out of here. I didn't know who they were. <laughs> he messaged me last night and was like, Sugar Ray's in this. Oh, if you don't know, he sings this song. And I was like, no, I know. I know who Sugar Ray is. <laughs> but only from this movie. But, oh, yeah. Only from this movie. So uh, they very quickly learn that everything is not okay. Everybody has been possessed. They've got the green demon eyes and the the shitty bad breath. <laughs> so Shaggy and Scooby use four-wheelers to escape from Fred in the scene that you previously talked about, Trace. En route, this is when Scooby sees that Mary Jane is actually also a monster, and <laughs> Shaggy doesn't believe him because, of course, we need a little bit of conflict between these two to make the basically segue from the second act into the climax work yeah i guess because they're separated up until the ceremony so yeah i guess that makes sense yeah so scooby ends up falling down a pit and shaggy follows him this is when we of course because it's scooby-doo we have to have like the system of underground caverns so okay so here's the thing so and i I, i've always wanted this too so when shaggy falls down it's before he gets to the main chamber, like so. He, but he there's a he exits the tunnel, and we have this weird close up on the lid's face as he looks fucking horrified, and we don't know what it is because then when next we cut it, we just see the chamber with like the the bowl of the protoplasms, whatever. And he walks up to it, so it's like, oh, like that's weird. He just saw this open chamber and freaked out. Right. There is a deleted scene mm-hmm. where he walks out of this tunnel, and he, it's it's the same room, but he sees Daphne, who's tied up by the protoplasm thing, and they pull her protoplasm out with that pincer thing on her chest, right? And dump her protoplasm in the bowl, and then they leave, and then we cut back to Shaggy looking terrified. No, 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 no. no! 
my spirit thingy. That is so uncool. And you're messing up my hair. <laughs> you're a jerk. Capital J-E- Okay. Was that- is that in the DVD? Because I feel like I've seen that. Yes, that is in the deleted okay. scenes. So that makes so much more sense because, yeah, we we do yeah. see Daphne get into an altercation with the luchador guy. Mm-hmm. And then we never see anything more from that. Like, he clearly gets the better of her. But it's not until later where she, like, randomly shows up and she, too, has been possessed. And I thought, yeah. wait, what happened here? Like, Since this, when? The editor got a little firm with uh, cutting out <laughs> some of these scenes because it doesn't quite make sense well and that's yeah. it would also give more weight to her fight at the end because it's like oh well okay yeah i guess yeah we see her altercation with the lucha libre guy but if while he's there taunting her she's about to get her protoplasm picked out like that at least gives her like oh i need to get revenge yeah. on this guy right. and that, totally. that gives that final scene a more emotional weight yeah so uh shaggy ends up investigating this cauldron this is when we get Honestly, weird CGI on these faces when he pulls them out. Like, it's... I feel like that adds to it, though, because yeah. it's so bad. It's, like, very unsettling. Fred's... Uh, when we see Fred's protoplasm, he just goes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Of course he does. No, the best, is, the best is when Shaggy pulls out that guy, and he's like, thank you so much. You and help then he me. Goes, oh, so, he goes, sorry, I'm looking for someone else, and puts him back. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. That really got me last. I wasn't even high. <laughs> See, I was actually like genuinely frustrated because I'm like, just set him free, fucker. Yeah, like, there's no reason. Dump he it over. Have done that. <laughs> <laughs> he could have yeah. literally solved the entire movie right now. <laughs> no, but I think that's a testament to like how silly he is. Like he's not smart enough for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Like even Velma, when Velma was giving him directions to like let her go, mm-hmm. could have been like, just dump the tank, you know? Yeah. It's so funny when she's like, just bring me back to my body, like. <laughs> yeah, like I'll just carry your disembodied protoplasmic head around until I find you. Well, sure. Yeah, because exactly. it's weird because they don't seem to really be able to control it because they just fly off and mm-hmm. it's like. But it is fun to watch, right? So that's what yeah. ends up happening. We we watch first Velma and then Red can't get into his body. So we, we do see what happens that the creatures are inside the human bodies. And when the protoplasmic heads go in, the monsters get kicked out. Do you hear what you are saying? It's like, do you hear what you're saying? I'm explaining a live action cartoon to people who can't see what I'm talking about. It is. No, I, I know. It's just like, again, when you're like, oh, yeah, like a live action Scooby-Doo movie. And like, this is the plot of the movie. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about like the uncomfortable, like racialized depiction of like Islanders in this movie and the dancing. Oh, it is. When I rewatched this, I was like, this is the most culturally insensitive yes. movie. Like, I understand it was the 2000s, but I feel like. Even for the 2000s, this was, like, really bad. Well, but we also don't... Because Spooky Island is... It's it's meant to be its own island, right? So we don't even uh-huh, know... But, like... <laughs> I, I mean, we're I doing tiki shit. I feel like it's implied and... that they are people of color. Yes. Like, oh, for sure. Voodoo, there's, like, the wrestler guy. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're all played by white actors. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. 2002. Yeah, I mean, we bring it up so that people will know that, like, oh, hopefully we're doing better. But, like, yeah, it's it's not great. I don't know. We still don't have great portrayals of Islanders in a lot. No. Oh, God. 
And especially like the burial ground trope mm-hmm. or like anything like that. It's just like, why are we doing this? What's yeah, I, I was trying to figure out like, oh, are we making fun of things like Poltergeist and every Stephen King property ever? But I <laughs> don't think so. I think it's just like, well, they're on an island and it's spooky. And, and unfortunately, it could. I'm not going to give them credit because we don't know, but that could have been the intention originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it could have just been so cut out. But maybe not. You know, I'm just like, but like again, like it, 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 it's just it's so frustrating to know that there's just a whole movie in here that we will never fucking yeah. Scream Factory. No, get out, honestly, get, go find like, it. I don't understand why we couldn't see it. You know what I mean? Like studios are weird. I just like if you have the content, why would you not release it? Like that's such a waste. Because I, I honestly, because they don't think that they can make money off of it. They don't think that there's enough of an audience to merit putting out a whole physical release. Mm, I think there is. So, <laughs> oh no, for sure. But yeah, but Warner Brothers doesn't think there is. That's the thing. Because again, like when Mystery Incorporated went off, it was I'm assuming for lower viewership, and I think they chalked it up to oh, this is too mature for kids. Like, we don't want to market yeah, towards adults anymore. Sense. One thing I forgot to mention, it's, it's, it's in that deleted scene with Velma singing Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, in the commentary, Geller is saying, she's like, oh, yeah, like, this is a really good scene. Like, we have, the, she's trying to explain the deleted scene. And then she goes, and then I told Fred what his ascot makes him look like. Oh. And that's not in the deleted scene. And I'm like, mm. oh, she probably called him gay. Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because apparently, again, in that original version that was filmed, it was the ascot. I guess everyone in the sixties thought that Fred's ascot made him gay, so that was the whole joke of this movie. That's so funny. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Sorry, that's so strange. Right. <laughs> I just, I guess, I didn't grow up in like an ascot generation where like I even knew what an ascot was. Mm-hmm. So I always just assumed that was like a thing that they wore back in the day. But it is. That's the funny thing. Like it's a piece of men's fashion history. Like you could go and see. Like they wear it in so... the UK. Like a whole generation of men did. No, 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 no. Doesn't matter if it's UK because again, that's like gay or European. Yeah, gay or European, right there. No, no, no. <laughs> Speaking of legally blonde, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be clear. Joe and I did not grow up in an era where men wore ascots. Well, I no. didn't either. Maybe Canada they do. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in Canada. <laughs> yes, in our igloos and dog sleds and ascots. We're all yep, of That's it. <laughs> that's all you have to keep warm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I heard Geller say that bit before. I just never really put much thought into it. And then again, yeah, no, when you know what the original concept was like oh yeah she was probably calling him a a queer yeah you know what let fred be gay right i feel like why not you know he's almost too beautiful for words that especially as freddie prince jr right like give us something and i feel like we're all kind of under the assumption that like it's kind of like an incest friend group. Like, they're probably all... Oh, they have all gotten high and fucked each other, for sure. Yeah. Well, but also, you know, if we're going into this idea that Freddie Prinze Jr. was playing Fred Gay the entire time, because we have this kind of, like, narcissist thing going on with him, right? So mm-hmm. I wonder if, they, if one of the original intents was to, like, oh, like you are so in love with yourself that you just are gay because you are the one that you love. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. That would be so a little homophobic, but it would be really funny. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely certain queers where you're just like, oh, if you could fuck and or marry that mirror because you see your own reflection, <laughs> you probably would. But yeah, but that's not just queer people. That absolutely is true. Yeah. No, but it is a lot of gay men. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, okay, so speaking of Fred, his disembodied head is unable to get back into his body and just kind of bounces around a bunch. And then it ends up inside of Daphne. So we eventually end up with a bunch of body swapping comedy. I'm not going to lie. I would have taken about another minute or two of this. Yeah. Just oh, them sure. trying to figure it out. Like, it's over so quickly. Well, but it's because they were going to have Ve- Daphne and Velma kiss. <laughs> Well, here's they the thing, though. I, I was also frustrated because clearly they just ADR their voices. Like, they have the actors yeah. say the lines and then they ADR the other mm-hmm. actor over it. And I was like, ooh, I really wish that they had have taken the time to try to do each other's voices because that it just doesn't so look funny. good. Yeah. No, I'm in agreement with you there. Um, also, Fred's first thought is, I can look at I myself, look at myself naked. naked. <laughs> Tits. <laughs> that was one of those things where my cousin was like, "Why is he doing that?" And I'd be like, "I don't know." He likes her dress. Uh. Why? Yeah. Honestly, this, this is the thing where I'm like, I'm a little, I, I'm shocked that line made it into this movie still. Yeah, because like they could have easily taken that out. But that's like a staple of body swapping comedies, particularly if you're going to cross genders, right? Right. That's true. Well, yeah, which we get multiple. And that's the thing, right? Uh, although I, I do like when Shaggy goes into Daphne. He's like, oh don't you God. ever eat? <laughs> <laughs> I love the part where he was like, wait, why am I wearing a dress? <laughs> but no, yeah, I, 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 I'm agreeing with both of you. This this could have gone on for longer. And mm-hmm. I'm a bit bummed that they don't really take advantage of it. Or at least yeah. not in the final cut. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So after everybody is back where they're supposed to be, we hear about the Darkopolis ritual. <laughs> These fucking names. <laughs> but we only hear about it because they walk up to Nunez Jr. and Daphne's like, mm-hmm. wait, I know how to handle this guy. Oh, hey, gosh. you! What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that Daphne, she's a master of subtlety. <laughs> I don't know how she does it. I'm telling y'all, by this point last night, I was just like dying. <laughs> I could not stop laughing. <laughs> Yeah, so we learned that the Darkopolis ritual involves sacrificing Scooby because, of course, he has a pure soul, and that will allow the creatures to take over the world. It's all very like, how do you know this? Why haven't you stopped it? Why are you helping us now? Sure, we're just going to go along with it. (laughs) This is when they realize that Mondavarius is, in fact, the villain, so they did peg the villain correctly early on. And then they formulate a plan to get jinky with it, using a giant crystal skull to reflect the light and kill the monsters. Trace, once again, Gremlins 2, how well did we sync this up? Yeah, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Completely unintentional programming, but it really works. Uh, So they're like, all right, let's put this plan into action. And it immediately falls apart. And I did like that. Well, yeah, it always has to. The trap always falls apart. Very much so. And it never works until Scooby and Shaggy do some bumblehuddly thing that should fuck up the trap, but ends up catching the the, the killer. Oh, my God. Catching the (laughs) bad guy anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So we have to watch Fred and Velma awkwardly dance, and then they are immediately captured. We see Shaggy and Scooby make up just in time for aw, Scooby's soul to get sucked out. I imagine that would be very upsetting if you were a younger viewer and you're like, oh, oh yeah. no, no, that's not Scooby. So scary. The, 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 there were 100%. Like, I remember, because I did see this three times in theaters. Um, I <laughs> I remember the second viewing, I went with my parents. And your parents cried. Yeah, they, they, they did not want to go see it. I'd already seen it with my <laughs> uncle, and I was like, I really want to go see it again. And so they took me again, and then I went with my sister. But there was definitely a kid 
kid, mm. like, a row down from me that was, like, not Scooby. Or, like, yeah. what are they doing to Scooby? Oh, like, like no. genuinely thinking, oh, my God, Scooby-Doo is dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that, too. And I was really, really upset about it. Mm-hmm. It's a very scary thing to watch as a kid. But can we go back for a second to Fred and Velma dancing? Because mm-hmm. it's so funny. It's awful. But I don't know. I find it so entertaining because Fred is just so unaware of his surroundings. I don't know what the chant is. It's like, oh, Riggy, oh, Rocky, yeah. This is what we creatures say. (laughs) Which also, that's a bop. Like, that gets stuck in my head sometimes. (laughs) Not on the soundtrack, unfortunately, but it is a bop. (laughs) We need a dance remix ASAP. (laughs) I want to hear it in the club. But it was so funny, though, because his references, uh, the electric slide, I was like, that wasn't even from my generation. No. Oh, God, no. I think my my favorite thing is that they they stop. No, sorry. Okay, so everybody else stops, and then they're still dancing, mm-hmm. and then they realize everybody's looking at them, so they stop, and then Fred says, yes, okay, do the electric slide, as though people aren't going to be able to hear yeah. him do that. <laughs> and you think Velma's going to look at him and be like, you're a fucking idiot, and then she does it too. <laughs> she does it yeah, too. <laughs> she was safe. She should have just fucking stayed put and been exactly. like, sorry, that's, dude. That's yeah. what I thought. I was exactly. like, Velma, save yourself. Let this... <laughs> Let this ascot wearing idiot get captured. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, okay, so Scooby's soul has been sucked out, and then we see that Emil is beginning to absorb all of the other ones, and like Scooby will be the sort of final meal once he's got him, then we're all fucked. But this is when Shaggy, of course, makes a break for it. He saves his friend, and it's revealed that Emil is actually scrappy do who's wearing right. a robot Emil suit. <laughs> Let's talk about scrappy do. Yeah. Cuz I didn't get into I didn't get into it as much before. Go ahead. This reveal, mm-hmm. while I do appreciate it and I do understand that it's really funny because a certain generation really <laughs> disliked scrappy do. And I'm sorry, which generation was that? Which which generation is it? All older ones. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that is not Gen Z. Got it. Got it. <laughs> It makes me incredibly angry to see this character so defamed because everyone now associates Scrappy as a villain because, Mm -hmm. uh, like, at least the people that didn't watch the cartoons automatically assume that Scrappy's, like, a bad guy. When in every single variation that we see with Scrappy, he is always a hero. And by the way, Scrappy isn't, like, some little annoying dog. I think personally, he just is neurodivergent coded because I relate to him so much. He just gets really excited about everything. Uh-huh. And he really loves Scooby, his uncle. And he's always like, Uncle Scooby will get him. Like, Uncle Scooby's got it. Like, he always trusts Scooby so much. And he's fearless. And he always goes after the monster. And there's this one scene that I was just watching the other day that I think was so funny where, like, they're fighting this lava monster that came out of a volcano. Mm-hmm. And Shaggy's like, I wish that lava monster, someone would put that lava monster back in the volcano. And Scrappy's like, why didn't you say that before? And just picks the monster up and throws him into a <laughs> volcano. It's so stupid. But, like, th- that's the character is, like, a fearless kid that will do anything for his uncle and always looks up to Scooby. You are correct. Truth be told, I have not seen a Scrappy-Doo episode of Scooby-Doo in at least, at least 15 years. Because as a kid, I never liked it because it was very much like a I want Fred, Daphne, and Velma back. I don't want this. And, right. you know, we kind of got Daphne back with 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo when she replaced Scrappy, but blah, blah, blah. So 
I honestly couldn't tell you if I actually found Scrappy annoying as a kid or if I was just annoyed that he was here and the rest of the gang wasn't. Right. That's, like, so valid. And I guess, like, I obviously never got that because when I was watching stuff, like, I got all the content at the same time. Right. Well, and we also have, we haven't had a period without the whole gang since that Scrappy period in the 80s. And I think it was because it was so poorly received where people were like, Mm -hmm. I want them. So... I can see in hindsight where it's like, oh, if you're, you know, watching this in the 2010s for the first time and you just, oh, yeah, look, look, there's the scrappy face, whatever. But then you go back, oh, I have the game back again. Then, yeah, he's probably not as annoying to you. (laughs) Yeah. So I think if people gave Scrappy another chance and looked at him, like, from an outside perspective, because it's not his fault that he got thrown in to replace the gang. Like, obviously, he's not a replacement for Fred and Velma and Daphne, but he's still a great character. And I think he was... He was shown as, like, just the worst, most annoying, most vile creature on the planet in this movie. And he's horrible. But when you watch him in the cartoons, he's really great. And we could absolutely have one with the whole gang and Scrappy. But I do think, though, the show that we had with Shaggy, Scooby, and Scrappy... Because Shaggy and Scooby are like the goofballs, right? Like they're they're mm-hmm. they're providing a comic relief, whereas Daphne, Fred, and Velma are kind of your straight people. Just, they have funny parts, but they offset the goofiness of Scrappy yeah. and of Shaggy and Scooby. Scrappy isn't necessarily goofy, but he does have an immaturity to him. Like he's still a puppy. Like he is yeah. uh, that is his thing. So you don't have the balance of that mm-hmm. with Scrappy. No, absolutely. And that really is an issue, at least me personally, that I think I have with that that show. I mean, even the movie, I think that when they meet the Boo Brothers, it's just Shaggy and Scooby and Scrappy. And I never liked that one either. Yeah, it sounds like you just, like, he could be a good fit with the others. It's when they try mm-hmm. to bring him in to replace them that you're like, no, now you're messing with the formula. And that's, that's not who his character is. Yeah, exactly. It, it's weird, like, being completely outside of the fandom. My sense of who Scrappy-Doo is is kind of like when a show gets long in the tooth and then they introduce like a cousin or a brother that we didn't mm-hmm. know about. Like Cousin like, Oliver from the Brady Bunch. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I <laughs> fucking hate this character because the show isn't the same anymore. And that's also not fair to that character. Yeah, and like I always personally loved Scrappy because he got really excited about everything just mm-hmm. like I did. And he got really excited about the monsters like I did. So as a kid, I was like, he's just like me. Yeah. yeah. And so it makes me so upset to see people just hate on him, especially, and this movie added so much yeah. to that hate. Well, it would. I, I will say, I, I, I never even considered the fact that, yeah, people that, like, didn't grow up with the cartoon would just now, yeah, because of this movie, view Scrappy as a villain, because this really is kind of the last thing that I think the character has been in. I don't know if he's been yeah. in any of the more, like, the cartoons in the past 20 years, but I... I believe he has, but it, it's never been this mainstream. You yeah. Know? So that is an interesting public opinion that I never even would have considered at all before this recording tonight. (laughs) All I'm saying is I think Scrappy-Doo deserves a chance to exist with the gang and just to kind of see how he would fit in. And if I were to be making another iteration of Scooby-Doo, I would put him in there just to see like how he would work with them. Right. I would also recommend those people go watch the older ones with just the three of them and see how horrible it was. (laughs) I, oh my God. I liked them. I had fun. 
<laughs> okay, so we're going to agree to disagree, and let's yes. move into this <laughs> climax. So at this point, yeah, everybody jumps into the action. So up top, we've got Daphne, who has been quietly creeping along, and she makes it up to the top because she needs to set this crystal skull thing into place. But of course, this is when she has to have her battle with henchman Zarkos, who is played by Sam Greco. And holy Charlie's Angels, Batman, because... Wirefu. Yeah, like, I mean, it's it's the era of Wirefu. We're getting this mm-hmm. all the time. But some of these moves even look exactly the same as the battle that they have with Crispin Glover in that first film. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same stunt coordinator. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, like, it it looks fun, and it's that moment for Daphne where she finally gets to execute, like, yep, I've got this black belt, I'm not a damsel in distress. She gets a moment where it looks like she might falter, and then she ends up kicking this dude down the skylight to get the plan kicking and going, so... It's good. I think it is so fun. I don't know. It's it's such a staple of that time period that I love that they put it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and we should point out too, yeah, the, the the music playing over this is MXPX's cover of the Scooby-Doo Where Are You theme song. Right. Mm-hmm. We did also miss, though, the introduction to this scene is Scrappy getting bigger going, all I need to complete my transformation is Scooby-Doo. And then we cut to Scooby and it goes, me? Don't you mean don't Melvin you mean Doo? Melvin? Who's right next to him? <laughs> Poor Melvin Dew can't even react because he's an automaton. (laughs) Well, if he'd gone through his training video, he'd know how to react. There we go. Yeah, exactly. Because the training videos worked so well. (laughs) I would have loved to have had like either a deleted scene or an end of credits bit where it's like them trying to practice these really terrible videos. Like, okay, so uh, when Zarkos comes falling down, he ends up breaking this bowl of souls and. Uh, as a result, Scrappy's power starts to wall. Nope. And as a result, Scrappy's power starts to wane, which allows them to pluck the crystal off of his chest. And then Scooby just smacks him into the wall. So that's the temporary end of Scrappy. I love that. Oh, well, yeah, because he's he, he, <laughs> he does get bleeped a bit when he gets put into this, uh, this canine van. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> But first, we have to release the real Mondavarius from his underground cell. And it's it's very like Harry Potter in a way. Yes. But uh, obviously, this came out beforehand. Same year. Oh, it's a different iteration of a Harry Potter. It's from Goblet of Fire when they yeah. when they have the guy. So that was after 2002. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was thinking the first movie coming out in 2002. No, you're all good. Yeah, totally. So we also have then the most uncomfortable scene in this movie where we get to see real life married couple Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince <laughs> Jr. kiss as their characters. And it does not work, folks. <laughs> No, it's not. It's real, it real not. bad. It, it. I think it's because it just does not fit in this movie. Like, these two characters have had, I think, one scene together since they yeah. broke up at the beginning of the movie. And there is absolutely no romantic overtures until this point. And I was like, why is this in here? But, 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 again... He's revealed to be gay in the end, so maybe that was the punchline after this horrible kiss. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That would save it. It would have been so funny if he was like, oh, I am gay. Yeah, like he's like, oh, because again, like the the, the whole thing with Daphne and Fred is like, since 69, like everyone's like, oh yeah, Daphne and Fred are the couple. Mm -hmm. So I could see Gunn being like, oh, fuck you guys. Let's have them kiss. And then him be like, sorry, I'm gay now. (laughs) This kiss turned me gay. Yeah. 
I like the purple, but that's the only real thing I like about you. Sorry. After the kiss, he's like, purple is a fall color. It's the middle of May. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see that tweet too? Oh yeah, I got Someone went off on it, right? Yeah, about Daphne wearing purple in the middle of May. They were like, that's the real mystery. (laughs) Wow, rude. It's her signature color. But I'm going to choose to believe that is the reason why this kiss looks so awkward. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. It is a bit of a, not always a fact, but it does sometimes happen where you see people who are in real life romances Mm -hmm. and they have zero chemistry with each other on screen. It's like something weird about the camera. But Mm. yeah, this one just stuck out like a sore thumb. But it's also because it's the only kiss we get here. Like even though Mary Jane is reunited with Shaggy, she doesn't kiss him. She comes closer to kissing Scooby to the point where I wrote in my notes, are they going to have a threesome? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. In the R-rated cut, right? Yes. Unfortunately, Mary Jane does not make it over to the sequel. (laughs) Uh, That's a shame because she's a fun character. Yeah. So then uh, just like the opening, the press just is on this island and they're there to ask questions. And uh, Velma finally gets the credit that she's owed. The crew officially declares Mystery Inc. back in business. And then over the credits, we get Shaggy and Scooby eating hot peppers uh, to the point where they blow out the restaurant, basically. (laughs) This mid-credit scene is the only thing that pushes this movie past the 80-minute mark, by the way. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's Scooby-Doo. Not Scooby-Doo. Corey, final thoughts on Scooby-Doo. Incredible movie. Wonderful. Uh, a cinematic masterpiece. Does Scrappy <laughs> do wrong, though? Right. And for that, I have to just take off a little bit of points. But for the most part, incredible. Yeah, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised. Again, like I said earlier, I was a little bit worried that I was going to walk in walk into this being like, oh, God, this is a lot more annoying than I remember. And it is that. But I, I found myself... As y'all said, like, the fun everyone's having on screen, like, I found it very infectious to where I'm like, this is a very, like, low-brow movie, very clearly. I, I would still love to see what the original – I would love to just read the script, actually. If, if anyone has that script, if it's oh, ever yeah. leaked its way online, I would yeah. love to read this. Like, that, that – I will be okay not ever having seen the cut if I can at least read the script. I just think that's a testament to James Gunn is like so much of his humor is very similar to that mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, this is stupid, but you still enjoy it somehow. He really walks that line. You can see fragments. I mean, obviously, this is still his script. It's just yeah. edited differently. And so you can see a lot of the intelligence here. It just really gets overshadowed by some really immature shit and mm-hmm. jokes that do fall flat. That being said, though, yeah, I found myself rolling with this. I I, I really had a lot of fun watching this cinematic masterpiece. I will still go to bat and say the second one's better because it feels more like the Scooby-Doo cartoon, um, intentionally so. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that also is what happens when, you know, the movie that's out is the movie that everyone intended to make. So Yeah, it's also such a clear – I mean, they go back to the classic monsters from the cartoons, and that's <sighs> right. so much fun. Yes, they put them through the, the, the monster realizer where they just, like, become yes. real. <laughs> that's it's how it awesome. Works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Joe, take us home. What were your thoughts on Scooby Doo? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I'm a bit of the outlier where I'm not quite as fond of this movie because I don't have the nostalgic love for it. But this did work for me. Like, I can see that it's charming and fun and silly and breezy and dumb. Mm-hmm. I didn't hate watching this movie. There were some juvenile humor pieces where I was just like, all right, okay, I don't think that's for me. But there's something about seeing the characters shift from the animated to the live action that is, it's interesting. I don't think it's an easy 
adaptation process. And I think that maybe it's just because I like a lot of these actors. I think they handle it well. And yeah, honestly, go into bad for the production design and the costuming because it works and it shouldn't work as well as it does. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the closest thing we can compare it to really is that 1994 Flintstones movie, which also mm-hmm. has yeah. stellar production design. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that's also a movie too where it's like, it, it doesn't always seem like it's for kids because no. isn't like the main plot of that movie like fucking Kyle MacLachlan's like embezzling money to make something. <laughs> oh, it's all like, about yeah. gentrification. Yeah. 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 And and all the, the splitting up of Barney and Fred, it's mm-hmm. like, oh God, like don't waste my movie on this. Come on. But so again, between the two, I think this is a better movie. This movie is also a lot shorter than the Flintstones. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, okay, everyone. So that has been Scooby-Doo. Um, before we announce what we're covering next week, Corey, first of all, thank you so much for coming on to this. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited someone finally let me talk about Scooby-Doo. <laughs> I'm so sorry for talking so much about it. No, but it's like, we loved it. But it's my favorite thing, and I, I can't thank you guys enough. <laughs> well, we'll have to bring I'm you so back happy. for that sequel in two years, okay? Oh my god, please do. <laughs> well, let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? All right, you can find my blog at gorycory.com. That's gorycory with no E's. You can find me on Instagram at underscore gorycory underscore. And you can find me at, on Twitter at gorycoryhorror. I am on Twitter pretty much 24-7. So tweet me. <laughs> and I think by the time this is released, I will have a fundraiser up for an anthology film that I'm shooting. So if anyone would be interested in donating or sharing that would be greatly appreciated. Definitely check it out. And assuming that it, it the dates do line up, we will have that link in the show notes. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers or shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd. Keep track of all the films we've covered. Uh, go to our YouTube channel to look at our interviews with uh, various people in the industry and our monthly hangouts with our journalistic peers. Uh, finally, if you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at Patreon com slash horrorqueers. We are now in June, so subscribe today and you'll get all this and more. Episodes on our favorite horror movie posters, the new Micah Monroe thriller Watcher, Jurassic World Dominion, The Black Phone, and the aforementioned audio commentary on Gremlins 2 The New Batch. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yes. What are we talking about next week? This is a first time watch for me, actually. It's a first time watch for both of us. So it's exciting that we finally get to cross this off our list. Yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about our first ever, I think, Succubus movie. So we're going to be watching Death by Temptation. I thought it was a vampire movie. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Um, yeah, I, I honestly had never, I feel like it was on our episode on Urban Legends Final Cut with Zena Dixon, where mm-hmm. that was brought up, and I had no idea what it was. Yeah, yep. Uh, so it's finally time to figure out what it is all about. Well, everyone, come on this ride with us and find out next week. But until then, we can cross out Scooby-Doo. Indeed, and cross out Horror Queers. Yeah!